Hello, listeners. You are about to listen to the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. This is a show for any and all baseball fans and is led by myself and my co-host, Travis. I'm what you would call a stats nerd, and my buddy Travis was a total stud on his D3 college team. Our goal is to try to show you how we view the game of baseball, and maybe we'll share a few laughs along the way. So grab a drink, kick back, and join us on this wonderful ride through the 2022 MLB offseason. Enjoy. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast, episode 34. Alex and I are coming to you day today, Sunday, November 14th, just about noon. Uh, Alex, on today's episode, kind of want to cover, of course, some beginning trades and also acquisitions that have happened uh already early in, into this offseason. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of awards already get, get, get given out, the gold gloves, the silver sluggers, and then also uh, two platinum gloves for kind of the two best uh, defensive performers in baseball this year. Um, so kind of talk about that kind of stuff. And then I want to talk about basically Jeff Passan had an article where he released kind of his five most notable players that could be on the trade market this offseason and could have a, a huge impact for the team that could receive them. So kind of go through that and then also talk about basically we've seen so many lists of, you know, I guess the top 10 power rankings with, uh, you know, certain individuals, analysts making kind of their power rankings going into the offseason. Some of them have been ridiculous. Some of them have been, you know, somewhat acceptable, but I kind of wanted to run through our off-season power rankings right now since the off-season started and all the players are free agents kind of go through the teams that still have a a very powerful roster even with the free agents still on the market right now so kind of run through that go through any of that kind of stuff maybe talk about some angels stuff at the end but um yeah i mean just kicking it off in today's episode uh let's talk about the baby basically the first deal that's been done this off-season that is andrew heaney former angel and yankee going to the los angeles dodgers uh, I'll start with you, kind of your thoughts on that whole acquisition. Yeah. Um, so I guess the Dodgers kind of want to get ahead of things before all the trade, or all the CBA stuff. I think that deadline for the collective bargaining agreement comes like uh, beginning of December. Um, so they wanted to kind of get some deals on the table, you know, before that all goes down. And um, they went with Andrew Heaney, a signing. Um, and Travis, I'm someone who's always been pretty high on Heaney. There's a lot of good numbers kind of behind what he does, even though the ERA has not always been exactly where you want it to be. But um, he gets tons of strikeouts, swings and misses. Um, he just gives up a few too many home runs a, a lot of the time. He's a, he's a fly ball pitcher. Um, but I do think, Travis, that a smart org like the Dodgers, who has, you know, probably their own pitching lab and their own, like, you know, trainers who just, I guess... Um, develop these kind of guys with with raw talent and kind of get them into being a finished product i think Dodgers are something are really good at that they're one of the best teams at that probably just kind of polishing up these kind of guys so i honestly do think that he's going to show some great strides this year um and travis based on the price that they're giving him i believe it was like was it eight million something like that? i think it was eight eight million one year yep so based on that like he they're not going to use him the way the yankees did where he's like might start a couple games but might come out of the bullpen some games He's going to, at the beginning of the season, be a starter because you're not paying $8 million for him to be a like occasional reliever. Like it just, I, don't, I don't see that happening. So maybe he, if things don't go right, he could end up in that kind of spot. Mm-hmm. But I think that they got him with the mindset of, you can be a starting pitcher for us if we make some tweaks. Um, 
yeah, like I said, I am pretty high on him. Not able to piece it together a full uh, all-star level season with the Angels. And then things actually got worse in Yankee Stadium, which Travis, we kind of predicted because um, Yankee Stadium is not kind to fly balls. A lot yeah. of balls leave yep. the ballpark. Um, and then you're also in the AL East, which is just tons of sluggers, tons of ready sluggers too, just to add on top of it. But I think the Dodgers um, are going to use them in a smart way. I expect him to have a pretty solid season. But um, Travis, what do you think about the, the deal? Yeah, you know, at first, you know, I, I mean, a lot of people also on, you know, Twitter and Instagram, you know, social media were, of course, you know, bagging on the whole entire thing because we, you know, Yankee fans especially because they've seen this guy for what was it, twelve starts last year and. Uh, actually five starts, 12 games, but, you know, did not live up to what, you know, the Yankees hoped when they right. got this guy. Uh, but, you know, I think with the Dodgers and having him be, you know, possibly a fifth or maybe even a sixth starter, uh, that, you know, it, it's it's not a bad thing. Like you said, the strikeouts, he gets a lot of strikeouts for what he uh, is giving with innings pitched. You know, usually he's been kind of a middle four ERA guy, you know, a 4.5 ERA guy. And that's really not a bad thing to have as your fifth starter. I know even with the Dodgers, a guy with a four ERA, the Dodgers still have a good offense where they could easily get wins with a guy that's giving up four runs a night, you know. So I think that, you know, it's definitely a smart way to go about it, you know, getting a middle relief end of the end of the rotation guy like the Dodgers got. Uh, it, it's really not a bad thing to have right now, especially with the status the Dodgers, you know, we don't know what they're going to do with, you know, signing Scherzer. We don't know what the whole uh, Kershaw out, right. outcome looks like. Uh, and we don't even know what the whole Bauer thing looks like. You know, right now, those are three starting pitchers that possibly could not be playing with the Dodgers next season. So um, it's smart to go out there and get a guy like Heaney. Uh, At least some insurance. Definitely, definitely. It, it, it makes me kind of think if they sign, they sign Heaney right now, that the maybe the Kershaw talks aren't going very well. Because Heaney, in my opinion, is a, is very, very comparable to Kershaw. So... Uh, something tells me maybe something isn't going right with the Kershaw talks. And then I think one other issue with Kershaw could be if the injury is not looking great. Yeah. If they think it might be a longer rehab or that they just think he might get injured again next year. Mm-hmm. Um, Heaney, one thing he has always, I mean, I wouldn't say he's like a huge innings eater guy, but he's not the kind of guy who's going to like miss a start here, miss a start there. He usually is pretty consistent unless he gets a real injury. So Yeah, and, and I mean, with the Angels too, we've seen months where Heaney has been, you know, dominant. So, the, I mean, the Dodgers are not getting someone that's just totally done, uh, yeah, yeah. careers over. I, I think they're going to tap into that. I think, yeah. I think they will. So Yeah, and, and we've, we've seen so many guys go to the Dodgers and become, you know, go from zero to hero. So, uh, Heaney, I think, could be definitely a sneaky move. He could definitely be someone at the end of the rotation. I don't think they plan on having him in, in the two or three hole uh, for the right, starting rotation. No. I mean, so he, he's, At the very least, he's going to be behind like Urias Bueller, and then we know the Dodgers are going to probably keep either Kershaw, Scherzer, or get someone else. Exactly, so. and they have Gonsolin, and maybe Dustin May might be ready as well. So uh-huh. uh, definitely could be a guy that is just kind of waiting back in the five or six spot of the rotation. So uh, kind of an early, just uh, you know, pretty interesting acquisition. I think Andrew Heaney, of course, is really happy. He's making $8 million and playing on a team that you know was two games away from the World Series, and also he's been in L.A. since 2015, with the Angels, so really, I you know maybe he doesn't really have to move very far, or if he you know does move, it's it's you know he maybe could stay put in Orange County. So uh, I'm pretty sure he's happy with the way things turned out right now. So um, that's of course the first kind of big, not big, but also most it, notable. It is notable, agent. yeah, yeah. And before we start getting into kind of the bosses and the monsters that start coming out of the uh, the free agent market, but first uh, free agent move that we've seen this week, and then also. Uh, Rousseau from the Rays 
I think we all remember him from hitting the big home run off of Chapman in Game 5 of the 2020 ALDS to send them to the NLCS. So he is now on the move to Milwaukee. So Milwaukee now getting an infield guy. I think also he plays a lot of other positions. I know right here on uh, Baseball Reference, it gives him second base, third base, and first base. So honestly, kind of just a full utility infielder for uh, for the Rays last season and previous seasons. But... uh, kind of ideas on that with the trade. I know there's another guy that was sent from Milwaukee to Tampa Bay. Uh, Give me kind of your perspective on both of those kind of trades for both teams. Yeah, so my take is this. Uh, I think that the Rays are good at flip. They flip players. They show someone has good value. Um, They see what they could get in the market for that player. And if they like the deal, they'll pull the trigger. They might say, oh, but maybe Brasso could have been useful next year because they're getting a pitcher who, according to Fangraphs, the expected time of arrival in the majors is 2024. So still a while out because he's still down and still, and I believe uh, it says uh, it says single A, I believe. Um, but, yeah, the issue, or I guess the reason why the Rays do this is um, they just are all about kind of staying good, right? Because they want, you know, in 2024, they yeah. plan to still be a contender in the, in the AL East. They're not really worried about, you know, going all in for next season. And the other thing is, Brasso was great in 2020. He was awesome. Um, he was the ultimate like platoon guy versus lefties. Uh, they'd use him. They'd use him essentially to sub in for G-Man Choi or for like Wendell playing third base. They would use him um, pretty much as a corner infielder, occasional I think shortstop and uh, second base as well. But <clears throat> essentially, I think that they have decided that Luplo pretty much does that same kind of job. Mm-hmm. Luplo plays. Uh, first and third base and he's also the same deal he's gonna platoon against lefties we saw him hit a monster home run off of chris sale in the um in the division series this year yep. regularly division yep. series so um i think that they kind of had the thought already that um they already have someone kind of doing that brasso role and brasso i think spent most of this year he didn't have great numbers they spent they sent him to uh the minors for a lot of the season so i think that they already had that role kind of filled and they said let we we can get a minor league pitcher uh, by the name of Evan Reifert, I believe is how you say it. And uh, his numbers, Travis, in the minors are definitely very solid. Um, it looks like in single A, he had 16 Ks per nine in five uh, five games mm-hmm. um, in nine innings pitched. He just has some really impressive numbers. He had a one ERA in single A, and then he got up to A+. Plus, and it was the same deal. It was a 15.3 Ks per nine. There's a lot of really impressive numbers overall, like uh, a sub a sub 2.3 ERA. So he obviously has some good stuff going for him. Um, the Rays definitely just kind of found a guy deep in the Brewer system that they liked. And they said, you know, give us him and we'll give you a guy who's already an MLB kind of player. But the Rays knew that Brasso probably wouldn't add that much value next year. I'm not sure what the Brewers' pan- plans for Brasso are. I, I, I mean, I assume they want him to get him back to form, use him in a platoon role because he does smoke lefties. But this year... Uh, he he wasn't very good, so I think the Rays said it's time to just do a flip. I think that the Rays probably won the trade just because they have um, someone it, already doing the Brussels role, so it's like almost no loss for them. Exactly, they're just gaining future depth. So yeah, and and I guarantee we'll see that guy come out sometime in the next you know five years, and we'll. <laughs> We'll go, we might go back to this trade, and it could be, you know, something that you could say, man, the Brewers really lost someone very valuable. That Rays seem to always find, you know, diamonds in the rough for some they, reason in they, the farm systems they, of other they, opponents. They totally do. They find these diamonds in the rough, and then they also know how to really kind of mold them as well because yeah. they are just such a good development team. 
smart org, um, of course. So, yeah, Travis, your thoughts on the, on the trade, too? Yeah, and I was looking at even at Mike Brasso's numbers. Um, nothing really too impressive. I mean, he literally had a batting average of 187, so nothing really great to write home about, a 266 on base. Uh, and then a 74 OPS plus. So really not having, you know, uh, not really having a great season, but he did have a one war. And there's a lot of notable players that had wars less than him. Glaber yeah. Torres had a 0.8 war. <clears throat> Cody Bellinger had a negative 1.5 war. And so interesting as you look at that, he definitely outweighed some all-star talent at the war level. Uh, and so some you know, of that could be the positions just like playing defense at multiple spots. Exactly. Or something like that. Exactly. And I see the Brewers really using Brasso as a bench guy. I think he'll definitely be a utility guy that yeah. can play all infield spots. I think their goal is to go out and get some really good offensive talent this offseason, or at least it should be, because of course that pitching staff would be even better with a lot of guys that can you know score runs so and if there's no universal dh which we still we still don't, don't know what yeah. for the collective bargaining agreement but if there is not he'd be a great guy for a national league team to use uh to head for the pitcher against the lefty exactly that'd be a great role for him exactly so. exactly so honestly i think right now uh, right now of course it's definitely going to be a win for the brewers but looking in the future definitely could be a huge win for the rays as you know kind of see things through but you know who knows maybe, maybe the pitcher for uh the the rays that they just got really doesn't really yield out to come to much mm-hmm. so it kind of is a kind of a i, I would just say a, a kind of a bs trade for maybe both sides they're kind of just like okay we'll trade you this guy for this guy really not too much excitement in here so uh kind of interesting as we see these trades kind of start getting through i think trades uh lately the past couple seasons have been very interesting i think starting off even with last year with the padres uh, we really saw what you can get with, uh, you know, maybe not the best, highest talent, but, you know, a good chunk of prospects could get you players like Darvish, could get you, yep. you know, other Snow. big players in return. So, uh, and even looking last year at Musgrove, you know, even looking at uh, Jamison Talion for the, for the Yankees, we didn't really see too much of a big package go to some of those teams. So, uh, but yeah, really fun to kind of see these trades as they happen right now. But Alex, let's kind of get into uh, this past week. A lot of awards, of course, came out. The Gold Gloves, the Silver Sluggers. I'll kind of run through the National League Gold Gloves. Let me know if you had any guys that you thought were snubbed, any guys that you thought really deserved it. But for NL, of course, Max Fried wins his second in a row for the pitcher for Gold Glove. Uh, Jacob Stallings for the Pirates won his first. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt, of course, getting another Gold Glove to his name. Edmund for second, Arenado for third, uh, Crawford for short, and then, of course, the outfield is O'Neill, Duvall, and Bader. So right there, we can definitely see the Cardinals won the gold glove uh, deal with all that stuff. I think what it was, it was five, five Cardinals in the gold glove winning conversation. So thoughts on those gold gloves in the NL? Yeah, I think overall, um, not too many issues. You can make a very good case for all those guys deserving to win. Um, I think one guy that did not get enough uh, credit uh, on his defense is uh, Cabrian Hayes. He had a mm-hmm. great defensive year. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone knows that his bat, you know, there's high potential there, but his offense was not crazy good this year. I believe it was his first full season uh, on the Pirates, you know, kind of a acclaimed prospect. But And I think even dealt with some injuries too, right? Sure, yeah. yeah. I think early yeah. on in the season he missed some games, but um, his his defense, his defensive numbers are very, very good this year. I think he led all third basemen uh, in the National League in like defensive runs saved, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. So uh, he's someone who kind of got slept on in my mind. Um, but Arenado just has the reputation. He has the the brand. V- the voters know that if we vote for him, we're not going to be making a mistake. Yeah. pretty much. <laughs> so it's it's a safe pick. 
Um, and he, Aaron Allo, you know, I can't say you don't deserve a gold glove because obviously he deserves to be in the top of the top of that conversation. But K. Brian Hayes is someone I wish got a little more credit. But overall, not too much problem with that list. A lot of great uh, defenders on the Cardinals deservingly are on the on the team. So yeah, one guy that definitely, uh, you know, I was I was definitely amazed is uh, Tyler O'Neill. You know, we saw the month of September that he had with the power, and mm-hmm. now you put it together with the glove. He really put together his complete season. So. Moving forward, I mean, the Cardinals, of course, got to be very, very excited for that. Yeah, kind he of really, a stud uh, corner outfielder upcoming right now. He pretty much turned into like a mini superstar with becoming kind of a five tool. Yeah. He has the speed yes. and the glove, which also can now combine with uh, a great hitter. So. Yes, yes, very true. Uh, moving to the AL, uh, pitcher Keiko was the winner for that one. Catcher Sean Murphy for the A's. Uh, first base Guriel, second base Semyon, third base Chapman, shortstop is Correa. And then the outfield, you had Michael Taylor, Gallo, and Benatendi. Kind of interesting there with the Royals getting kind of the top pick for the outfield when we know when we see, you know, uh, Kansas City, it's just a massive outfield out there. So maybe that could be a little bit, you know, of a of a perspective when voters look at that. They see that these two guys are covering just a massive outfield and we're going to give them the edge when it comes to the outfield votes. And then you look at the infield, you know, Guriel and Correa, uh, Chapman, Semyon. I, I, at first, I thought it was an all AL West infield, but then I remembered Semyon, of course, was the uh, mm-hmm. was in the uh, AL East. But I guess my biggest note, of course, will be David Fletcher. Um, I think David Fletcher is possibly one of the best defenders in all of baseball, um, and it shows. I mean, he makes the routine plays every single time, but he also makes those really tough clutch plays that you can definitely say no other second baseman in the league is probably making that play. And David Fletcher just always makes it. And also, he's a very big utility guy. He can go to shortstop and make the most insane wedge gem plays out there as well. So um, that's kind of my take with the AL gold gloves. I'm not really going to take too much shame in most of these guys, but who would you say is a snub or what are your thoughts on the AL gold gloves? Yeah, uh, completely agree on the Fletcher point. I think uh, if it was Merrifield instead of Semyon, I would say I would be a little bit less like you know mm-hmm. upset about it. But I think that saying Semyon was a better glove than Fletcher is just is just completely wrong. Um, uh, this season, probably any season, but uh, yeah, Fletcher obviously is a great defender. Um, is super good. You, you see him so many times. Travis would be running into pretty much running into center field, yeah. just filling yep. the ground ball. Turns around, throws it off balance. Yep. It just goes right one hop to the chest, something like that. You know, um, just get it done. Uh, Semyon obviously had a good defensive year, um, but I think I think Fletcher leads both those guys, uh, Merrifield and uh, Semyon, in like defensive runs saved, outs above average, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think Semyon, I think uh, Fletcher should have you know got the nod, but you know at the end of the day, it really is a lot about the name. Yeah, is just kind of the way the voters vote. You know, it's not it's not like they can watch every single game, and and some defensive stats are kind of hard to uh, you know evaluate. They're kind of hard to uh, place value in. So another another kind of uh, thing that was worth noting for me at least um the fact that salvador perez got the nomination is just really confusing i, <laughs> I know you're gonna bring I, that up I, yep. I, he's just you know i understand because he had a great offensive year and was in this his name was in the headlines pretty much the whole season at least the second half and he deserved to be in those headlines but the defense there's just no reason to have him on the list he literally won a nomination with his bat because all the defensive numbers say that he was a a minus framer like a below average framer um, i think his arm is still pretty good but yeah um he just glove wise he just is not one of the better defenders and he pretty much like i said got a nomination with his bat travis there's uh, a 
catcher on the Angels, Max Stassi, who we both love uh, as a defender and just also as a, as a complete catcher. But um, Max Stassi has way better framing numbers in way, way, way fewer games um, because he had some injury time. And of course, you want to give it to a guy who played a full season. But if you're a better defender in less time, that should be even better. But like, mm-hmm. there's tons of other characters you could point to as saying this guy deserved a nod over Perez. At the end of the day, though, I went to Murphy, and I'm completely fine with that. Mm-hmm. Murphy's a great mm-hmm. defensive catcher. But I think Stassi had a case for the best catcher in, in defensively in baseball on a rate basis because he didn't play that many games, but his kind of defensive run save stats are like as good as pretty much anyone's. So, um, yeah, I, I would even throw in Kurt Suzuki too. <laughs> No, don't. Yeah, I'm don't, just kidding. Don't yeah. even start. Yeah. No, but yeah, you're so right. I think that voters, I, there was, I remember there was a play in April where I think Salvador Perez pretty much threw out, backpicked the runner at third base, mm. and they beat the Angels. Uh, that might be a clip that voters are looking at, and they're like, wow, you know, this, you know, not many catchers can do that. So that's, of course, one reason why they gave him the nomination. Uh, no, but I'm really big on that. Stassi, of course, is a guy that I love behind the plate defensively, and I think, of course, playing. Uh, I think he might have played maybe 90 games or less. It wasn't, it, I don't know why Madden kept playing Suzuki all the time. But yeah, Stassi, of course, did not get a huge chunk of the games. Uh, so that, of course, probably really hurt him when voters were looking at, of course, games played. And Perez has 155 games. So they're probably thinking, okay, Perez is always out there, you know, always, you know, in the, in the hot days of August. Uh, he's still out there battling, and he still has a great arm, so we're going to give him the nomination. So there is a little bit, of course, a popularity contest. I definitely will say, of course. And also with Semyon, I think that voters also thought, okay, this guy's easily going to be the the silver slugger. Let's give him the gold glove, too. And also, he's going to be a top three in the MVP voting. Man, that really just creates Semyon's brand to a whole other level. You have a gold glove, you have a silver slugger, and a top three in MVP. There's There's definitely... You can name a bunch of good players that don't even have those in one year. You know, Trout not being one that has a gold glove, silver slugger, and top three MVP ever. So um, and interesting that that kind of happened too. It, and looking at the other nominee was a Martin Maldonado. He's someone who defensively has a track record of being very good, but this year, like, the framing kind of numbers were not, like, that great. Yeah. We saw some big plays in the postseason throwing out the uh, struck him out, throw him out. That kind of... It kind of won him at the deciding game against the Red Sox, which, you know, in a really huge moment. So he deserves tons of credit. But I think there's guys like Zunino, guys like Austin Hedges, where if you just look at, like, the defensive metrics, like, yeah. they are just very, very consistent and good, um, better than most of the nominees. But uh, Murphy is someone who deserves the award, so yeah. I, I got no problem there. Travis, one more person I thought that deserved at least a nomination and was a big snub. I think they didn't give it to him because... He's getting too much credit already, but I think Shohei Otani is one of the best defensive pitchers in all of baseball. You, Very true. You and I Very see it when he's on the mound. Yep. I think, he, I, he, I, think he, I saw him dive and, and make an outstanding play this he, year, too. He makes like these diving catches. He, he's quick off the mound. Like, so I, his follow-through, yep. he can quickly get to a bunt, get to a little dribbler, and he'll throw a strike, and he'll throw it hard to first base. Pitchers aren't required to do that much crazy stuff, but he consistently is so quick on the mound, and he gets the balls fast. If it's like when most pitchers um, are kind of scrambling to get a ball like that, they're kind of like scattered. But Otani looks very composed, and he meets the eye test. I'm surprised the voters didn't give him at least a nod for a nomination, but I think he's as good a defender on the mound as anybody. And the fact that he didn't get a nomination is uh, definitely caught my eye immediately. I was like, where's Otani should be considered for this award for sure? But Yeah, yeah and that, that's a very good you know point you brought up there. It's funny how people, when they vote for pitchers, because I feel like, man, it's like, I mean, who really is paying attention to the pitcher's fielding? I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like if, if a ground ball gets hit back to the pitcher and he makes a clean play and throws it to first or starts a double play, I feel like some voters are like, 
he's got the he's got the gold glove. That play was that play was fantastic. Or maybe even some guy makes an outstanding diving play on a bunt. People are going to jump to that and say he's got the gold glove already. You know, right. so uh, interesting how they kind of give the pitchers <clears throat> the gold gloves. I know it's funny how I, I think NL for some reason some of those pitchers. Uh, are a lot better fielders than AL pitchers. I don't know. It's kind of weird how at different leagues you might have different perspectives on ways, you know, guys perform. But, uh, yeah, it's always funny. I feel like AL pitchers are just kind of like, you know, they don't hit, but NL pitchers do, so that makes them maybe a little bit better of an athlete. But, uh, but yeah, so let's uh, let's jump into the uh, American League uh, for Silver Sluggers now. So, of course, Salvador Perez winning the catcher, Silver Slugger. Vladdy Guerrero and Semyon taking over the right side, and then Devers and Bogarts taking, or I'm sorry, Guerrero and Semyon taking over the right side, Devers, Bogarts taking over the left side. So you had a Blue Jays, Red Sox, uh, you know, infield pretty much for the Silver Slugger. And then the outfield was uh, Cedric Mullins, Aaron Judge, and Teoscar Hernandez, with of course Shohei Otani taking out the, the DH spot. So with this, Alex, in this list, I really didn't see any flaws, anything that I really was like, hmm, you know, this should be changed to this. Uh, I like it. What are your thoughts on that? On those silver sluggers? Yeah, I think it's all good choices. Um, silver slugger is something I'm always not really sure. Like, it'd be interesting to see what the voters are told to vote on because I, if you're just looking at just best play, just best off- offensive player, like, are you counting a walk as good as like a hit? Because silver slugger, you kind of think of is it just the bat stuff or is of it course. is it discipline as well? Do they kind of weigh home runs more than they do just like a straight up OPS? So it's kind of it's kind of interesting. I don't know how they view it, but overall. There's nothing. There's no crimes here. You know, yeah. these are all great hitters across the board. I think I prefer Jose Ramirez's bat a bit over Devers, but Devers has probably the power edge. Yeah. So that probably helps you in the Silver Slugger conversation because power is just sort of like a big part of that brand of being. I'm a, I'm a slugger, so definitely. And, um, I, and, I, and I think home runs definitely are the thing that people look at on this list. If not that, they look at maybe a high average or so, or something like that. But I feel like you know when you look at this list, you already have catcher first, second, and pass, and probably shortstop. But Correa, of course, had an excellent offensive season. Bogarts, of course, as we know, is one of the best offensive shortstops in the game. Yeah. Uh, Defense is where other shortstops technically would rise on him. But, uh, but yeah, you're so right with Jose Ramirez. The big thing with Ramirez for me was, of course, the stolen bases when we had our all MLB team discussion. That's where I. That's what sets at, him apart. And I was like, wow. But you're not going to be looking at stolen bases at Silver Slugger. Right. But, uh, but yeah, like you said, there's really no crimes on this list. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I totally agree. Um, go ahead. We can go ahead and go to AL. I think. Perfect. So the NL. NL. I mean, yeah. NL Silver Sluggers. This, of course, you're going to get a pitcher. So you aren't going to get a pitcher. I wish they did it for AL. I think we all know who'd win that one. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't even be fair. It wouldn't even be. A... <laughs> so the pitcher, of course, for the Silver Sluggers for uh, the NL was Max Fried. So Max Fried, of course, getting a Gold Glove and a Silver Slugger. Uh, catcher Buster Posey, first base Freddie Freeman, second base Albies, third base Riley, shortstop Tatis, and then the outfield was Harper, Castellanos, and Soto. Uh, some very good selections. Some selections that were kind of like, hmm, you know, it, 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 this it, it could be an interesting way they kind of picked this. Uh, when you look at that list, Alex, who kind of catches your eye as maybe someone that maybe got lucky or someone that maybe you know just kind of maybe the brand is just big where that's why he got selected i think the first thing that really catches my eye as something i'm not sure i I agree with is um the braves dominance in the infield um i think freeman is a great hitter uh he's a superstar Uh, he's gonna get so much money this offseason but i'm not sure i think he was the best offensive first baseman in the national league a guy that deserves a ton of consideration is Votto, of course. Very well. Um, yeah. 
And that is someone who had a home run tear late in the season. So I thought that they would honestly give him a lot of consideration just because um, that power that he showed and he kind of got revitalized almost. Um, just kind of changed his approach. And when there wasn't two strikes, he was not going to try to battle off. He was going to try to swing for the fences. And it showed in his home run numbers, took a spike this year. So I thought that Votto would have gotten a little bit more consideration, more love. Um, Goldschmidt, obviously, a very good year for him. Uh, I think the NL first baseman, Travis, most of our life has been a pretty stacked position. Mm-hmm. Um, and Freeman is in the top of that list. So there's no, you know, no big issue. But I just thought they would, might go a different direction. I think they gave the Braves some love because of how hot they kind of were as a team. Yeah. Um, you know, Albies uh, did not have a great offensive year, I don't think, by any means. But I think, you know... It was at, just the home runs. Right, right. About 30 home runs for all three uh, uh, Braves infielders that made this list, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so Albies, um, like the OPS Plus was not very great. Um, but he is, you know, a good defender and a good a uh, you know base runner and all that kind of stuff. But the bat, seeing a silver slugger, it was a bit, um, you know, odd. But I don't know who else I'd give it to, honestly. So I'm not going to, you know, harp on it too much. Um, and then Riley, you know, I think that he definitely should be in the conversation for this award. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like giving it to three Braves, I don't think they're, like, one of the greatest offensive teams, but they gave it to, you know, three Braves. So it's kind of interesting. Another, another guy for, for first base was definitely Max Muncy. There's some credit. Definitely. Um, but he also missed some time. So Freeman, I could see him getting the edge there. I, th- I thought Votto might have been a, a better choice. But, you know, honestly, um, like kind of like the gold gloves like there's no crimes on that list I, i'm good with pretty much all of it so yeah and, and you bring a good point with Votto because Votto did finish with 36 homers while freeman had 31 uh freeman of course having a way better batting average and on not not a way better on base but a better on base percentage than Votto. uh but of course Votto, he had a way way better slugging percentage and yeah. he finished with a better ops and ops plus so mm-hmm. definitely i think Votto is a guy that really could have you could say is maybe the, the only snub out of the silver sluggers on this list just because he had that tear of a month i think in july where it was just like I think he came out with a statement saying, I'm trying to hit home runs. And you're like, he went why on, didn't you do this your whole career? Yeah, he went on. <laughs> there, was, there was that week where he had like a home run every day. Seven, for like, seven home he, runs. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I really think that you're right with that. With Votto easily could have had himself in this list for Silver Sluggers. He uh, definitely won the home run race for first baseman. And then, of course, also the slugging percentage race. Having a slugging percentage, I think it was 563, which mm. uh, very, very impressive. But again, not really... Not, not really any crime when it comes to any of that stuff when um, we're picking out silver sluggers. Uh, you know, I think when it comes down to maybe like the all MLB team and the MVPs, that's where we might get a little bit more, you know, pissed off when, sure. you know, and those nominations came out this week. And I know Alex, me and you were looking over it. And of course, I think they had about almost eight or nine first base nominations. And I, I want to say it was 10. I want to say it was very, it, it, it should have been three. And, and I, I one, think... one guy, of course, we talked about is, Ryan Mountcastle was yeah. on the nominations list, and we were just kind of thinking, okay, why is it this many first basemen, and why are why are these guys on it? We all know who, of course, the winner is going to be, but come out with three nominations for that too. So, I guess we can kind of go into a little side topic of uh, the nominations for the All MLB team. We came out with ours the final week of this of uh, the season, the last uh, episode of the regular season, but. <laughs> it, it's kind of just it, it deserves a little bit of time to talk about what of course are your thoughts on the nominations a little a little little weird yeah definitely some suspicious stuff um you know it's just the nominations it's not like it's the winners so it's not like a crazy crazy huge deal but uh Charles, yeah, there's just some guys for sure that i don't really think deserve to be nominated it's just kind of like 
this guy is not even in this in the same ballpark as whoever's gonna win. I don't know why we're sort of giving him this kind of credit now, but um, as an example, Travis Mountcastle was the guy who stood out to me by far the most um, when I saw this list for the first time. Um, so, for those that don't know, Ryan Mountcastle uh, is nominated to be an All MLB first baseman. He was a Baltimore Oriole this season. Walsh snub. <clears throat> Obviously, Mountcastle, he's going to get Rookie of the Year votes. Um, he's, you know, overall uh, a good player with a promising future. But just comparing the numbers to a guy like Jared Walsh, who was not nominated. Um, Mountcastle, 255 batting average, 309 on base, which is, you know, nothing nothing crazy special. 487 slugging. That's good for a, a 112 OPS+. plus. Jared Walsh. A 277 average higher, 340 on base a lot higher, 509 slugging higher, OPS plus 128 higher, 29 home runs for Walsh compares to I see 33 for Mountcastle. So are those four home runs really worth that massive gap in OPS plus? They both played around the same number of games. It really just makes no sense to me. And then of course we also Walsh was a nominee a, non, a nominee for gold glove. So yeah. the defensive nod goes to Walsh as well. It really makes no sense at all how Ryan Mountcastle will get a nomination for this and then not uh, Walsh. And then plus many other guys that were nominated just did not have years like Walsh. Um, I don't want this to be all about Walsh. I'm much more kind of concerned about like they really should have trimmed the fat on these lists. I think giving it to either, either you can do three people, which is the same how to do MVP. MVP has, you know, three nominees for both AL and NL. And then same for Cy Young, same for like the Gold Glove Silver Slugger. They have like three nominees, and then they release the rim, the winner. But for this Travis, um, it's like based on fan vote. Yeah. And so fan vote is going to be some sort of component. We don't know. I'm very worried. We don't know about the percentage of how much the fan vote will be factored in. But we both don't like that system. We think it should be an award that's picked, so that way it can have some serious kind of weight when we're looking in the future for how are we going to evaluate a guy like you know. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle in like 10 years. Oh, well, he made the All-MLB team twice or he made it zero times or made it five times. So that kind of thing is kind of interesting. But if you give it up to a vote, like, first of all, the Yankees might get some extra boost because their fans are just by far outweigh the rest of the fans of the MLB. Definitely. Um, and then there are some teams that will get a lot less votes, like the Rays, like the A's, teams with the smaller fan bases are going to obviously kind of get a little bit snubbed in some of these kind of things. If Olsen was the best first baseman, but like Guerrero was right behind them this year, I could see Guerrero beating him out anyways. Just East because, Coast guy, yeah. Just because uh, the fan bases and, and I guess the size of their markets. But um, yeah, I think three would be a good choice. I, I like the idea of doing five, just so these kind of four and five, like best player at each position can kind of get a little bit of credit and for their seasons. I got kind of like a Walsh or a Guerrero who's yeah. not going to win the award, but had a great year that deserves, deserves some credit. But yeah, having it at 10 with all this extra fat of like Mount Castle types, the, the the third baseman, Travis, there's just tons of guys who I'm like, you're not going to, you're not going to win. Like, no, the, exactly. It's like, it should be either Ramirez, Devers, if you want like Duvall and Machado, they can be on the list too. But beyond that, there's not that many other names that deserve to be on the list. Arenado could be there. That's probably a good five. And I think, yeah. I think past that, 
does not, does not, does not deserve to be a nominee for all MLB. Yeah, That's I th- my I, and I think I also saw even like Justin Turner, and he's a great third baseman, but he had a good year. He had a good year, but, but it, he's not a top five third baseman yeah. this season. So yeah, and even if you want to give a little bit more credit and a little more names, you could do even six and say, okay, top three in the AL, top three in the NL. But then again, the all all MLB team doesn't really care what league it, you're in. Right, it's, it's supposed it's to all, unite the whole. It's yeah. all about who is the best at the position, which I really love the way they're doing that now because, like you said. In 10 to 15, 20 years, I think that a lot of MVP, I'm sorry, a lot of MVP, a lot of Hall of Fame votes will come down to, hey, you know, this guy was an all MLB guy for seven years. I mean, we look at seven years as kind of being a good chunk of your career. Um, This guy makes a really good case for being a Hall of Famer because he was the best at his position. So um, I think that taking that seriously, of course, trimming it down, no more Ryan Mountcastles. I'm I'm sure Ryan Mountcastle (laughs) will continue to grow into a very good ball player, but Right now, this season, I, I really don't know why I see his name on a nominations list. So Yeah, Travis, I think the NBA is a league where the all-NBA kind of stuff does play a big role in some of these conversations when you're comparing all-time players, when you're talking about Hall of Fame kind of stuff. Does this guy deserve this or that? Um, they just released the, like, the NBA 75, like I said, to have best players yeah. of all time. And you can look at like how many how many all-NBA teams this guy have. Like That could yeah, be a factor definitely. to say... You know, do I have Anthony Davis ahead of Robert Parrish? Like, a yeah. completely different generation. Like, okay, well, how many All-NBA do they have? How many uh, top five MVP vote finishes do they have? You can kind of use this Definitely. kind of stuff. Definitely, no. And if the MLB kind of goes this route of, you know, having fans kind of be a big part of the voting, um, it can really just kind of throw a big wrench in the whole thing that kind of makes it kind of less significant than it could be. Also, I do wonder, Travis, if they're going to plan on a second or potentially a third All-MLB team, which is what the NBA does do. NBA has All-NBA first, second, and third team, as well as they have like a defensive first and second team. I kind of like that because um, a guy like a, you know, Devers, say, say Ramirez wins the All-MLB third baseman, yeah. Devers can, could easily deserve like a second team. Like he deserves a lot of credit for the, the breakout year he had. Easily. I think that could be fun having a second team as well. Yeah. And that kind of be, you can put that on your baseball reference page, you know, like a 2019 or 2021 All-MLB second team. Like that, that's still pretty cool. So. No, exactly. And I, I'm not correct. I'm, I feel like I've seen. Maybe, I think they made one last year. Is that what you're going to say? I, I want to say, I think I've seen maybe like an honorable mention that comes in mm-hmm. after. Maybe, maybe they kind of give you their like, who, who. Who would make the second team, or who is definitely you know a name to, to come up in all in all of that? Because you know when we look at you know look at guys, you know careers. I think we look of course a lot at Gold Gloves, Silver Sluggers, and MVPs. And some guys are not going to win an MVP. I mean, a guy that's playing with you know Mike Trout right now, where Mike Trout literally should be the is probably the favorite every single year to win the MVP. There could be a couple guys that literally always get snubbed on the MVP vote and come up, you know, like a Jose Ramirez. He's a top three MVP guy almost every single season. He might um, never get one. Exactly. He but, might never get one. But, of course, if he has, uh, like you know. Six or seven, all will be, yeah. It's kind of showing, man, okay, this guy's one of the best third basemen in baseball. And from this period, him and this guy, Mike Trout or something like that, were the only guys that were on this list five years in a row. So that's kind of showing me that he is always behind Mike Trout in the MVP voting. Mike Trout, of course, is doing things that are bigger than almost Hall of Fame numbers. And, you know, Jose Ramirez, of course, is getting a little snubbed on. So I, I, I think that taking this really seriously and, of course, kind of getting the fans out of it is is definitely uh, a big thing because yeah. I mean, we, we've seen those comments on Twitter and it gets pretty bad when the fans will say, like me, I'm a huge Arenado fan. Does Arenado deserve all MLB third base? Absolutely not this right. year. There are better players. But people on Twitter were saying Arenado all the way, and I was like, "It's all about like, yeah." I think yeah, I, what I, I think <laughs> we do a pretty good job of like we can isolate our 
where were the biggest what players were the biggest fans of and then kind of separate that from who was had the best season exactly but uh Travis thank goodness I just had this thought thank goodness all all NBA teams are not selected by fan vote Ooh, yeah. that would be a mayhem online yeah. NBA yeah. Twitter could be crazy yeah. I think MLB Twitter is becoming this kind of realm where all these people are arguing for their guy yeah I would think it should just be up to the voters and having a second team to give credit to Travis Tatis might win all MLB shortstop Correa deserves a lot of credit, so he easily, should be. This, there should be a second team to give, I guess, some credit to these other kind of guys who had great years. He is but, right behind him, yeah. But yeah, we'll we'll cover the and when they announce the All MLB teams, we'll we'll break it down. We'll give you guys our takes on when that comes out. So. Exactly, and that kind of goes into I guess the last thing I want to talk about with the awards. Um, I think it was a couple days ago. Uh, Arenado and Correa both won the platinum glove. So basically, the best defensive glove in each league. Of course, this is Arenado's fifth. Um, I think a lot of Hall of Fame writers and voters are looking at that as this guy is possibly the best hot corner defensive player we've ever seen of all time. Of course, they didn't have the the platinum glove during Mike Schmidt's times, during George Brett's times. So, of course, course. yeah, they're not going to have, of course, those awards on their resume. But I think looking at that, too, when you look at a guy's resume, five platinum gloves, this guy was the best defender in the whole entire league. Um, that's going to give a lot of writers kind of the boost for, okay, this guy's a Hall of Famer in my book. And then, of course, Correa. That helps Correa, I think, in possibly the all-MLB voting, seeing that he won it. It could, yeah. And also it's going to help him a huge, huge bunch when it comes to, I think, negotiations for his contract. Now you've got a guy that's a platinum gold gl- or platinum glove winner with the arm that he has. I, I mean, you're looking at a complete stud playing shortstop. So, uh thoughts on those two i know i know a lot of people were definitely saying in the nl um keep brian hayes with the defensive run saved but then again i think with arenado with being a gold glove and a solid guy that played the whole entire season not too many injury stints like some other guys but um i think also looking at the wet gems that he makes that definitely helps you know writers say oh this guy's a complete you know stud right yeah um Karis, you mentioned how this up uh, streak of platinum gloves that Arnaldo's on is like affecting his legacy. Honestly, this is a, this was his ninth season. I think when he starts the season next year, that'll be his tenth, I think he'll be a lock for the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um yeah. the offense has been very consistent throughout his career. Um and then the the glove is just is just too good. So And he'll be close to five hundred home runs too, I guarantee probably so. Right, yeah. But I yeah, I, I think even if even if something tails off in a big way, I think he's done enough in his career to mm-hmm. be in this conversation. Has led the National League in home runs three times, led an R- led the whole MLB in RBIs twice. Um, there's lots of great seasons there in Colorado. The defense has continued now that he's in uh, in St. Louis, and the bat is still very solid. So, um, yeah, I think that you know, saying he doesn't deserve the award is is you know he obviously deserves it as much as almost anyone. I think I would have voted for someone else. I think that there's other players who had more defensive impact. I think a guy like Harrison Bader, what he did in center field, that speed and that great glove, uh, he he was just as such an important part of the Cardinals' defense, of course. Definitely. Um, another guy who has tons of defensive runs saved is, uh, and that kind of stuck in kind of favorite catchers, I would say, maybe sometimes, but uh, Jacob Stallings had, by the advanced numbers, an all-time, like, catching season, hmm. which is interesting, but, like, Charles, obviously, I don't really watch Pirates games, so yeah, yeah, how much can yeah. I, really like, comment on that? But yeah. but based on the numbers, uh, Stallings, a great year for him defensively. Wish he got a little bit more uh, of some credit there. Um, but overall, Arenado, of course, uh, a defensive stud, so, um, you know, it's a great another achievement for him. And then for Carlos Correa, Travis, he, I think he might, he might have led baseball um, in, like, baseball reference uh, defensive war, mm-hmm. so... 
it's hard to argue with that. Like, that's like a big, obviously, stat going your way. But there are other guys as well who I think deserved uh, tons of credit. Um, Matt Chapman is someone who consistently proves to be one of the best defenders of the entire generation of this century, probably. Um, and him and Arenado, high school teammates, really, right. really it's, something to be. That, that's really incredible. Yeah, I, I don't even know how to make of that. Like, probably the two best defenders. Who is of, their infield coach? Oh <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, of, of this of this decade at the very least, maybe the century. It's just it's just so funny to see that. But and then also a guy like Michael A. Taylor was a great defender this season. Um, he got the Gold Glove, but did not get the platinum that went to Correa, of course. So, I mean, overall, uh, Correa and Arenado are both great defenders this season and and you know in the past. So, I'm glad they got their their due. But I think I would have made a bit of a different vote. Mm-hmm. But you know, no, no, overall, not a huge problem. And I'm um, sure voters also look at it as why would we give it to Hater? It's his first. He might not win one ever again. Let's keep on giving it to Arenado because we want to keep building this like profile of just like insanity for platinum clubs. I, but you know, like, I, I think that's probably where like the kind of popularity contest comes no, in we talk about. Definitely. When it comes to voting for these kind of awards where gold gloves, it's hard to say what kind of stats you want to look at because some of the advanced stats are not even like – they'll disagree sometimes. Like yeah. defensive runs saved, outs above average, might have a disagreement about if a player is good defensively or not. Uh, fielding percentage can be unreliable because – a guy like Antlin Simmons or someone like that will get to a bunch of balls and then make a bad throw, but it's like other shortstops would not, would not have gotten to that ball. So no, it kind of you're kind of adding more errors because you're better. But plus um, with that arm, I mean, he can bobble a ball, pick it up, and I mean, I I have not seen a guy in a very long time throw a ball across the infield yeah. at guy should be on the mound. I mean, <laughs> he he could he could pitch and probably throw one hundred and one. So uh, Correa, I can definitely see that uh, you know easily winning and good for him because. He's only elevating his, you know, profile and status even higher now that he's a platinum winner with the offense that he provided this year as well. Um, someone's gonna have to pay him a lot of money. So, uh, Alex, I know you had something to talk about with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, I'll yeah. let you kind of go over that. Okay, yeah. So, uh, Vladdy Jr. was recently featured on MLB Network um, broadcast, a little interview slash like he was in the in the in like the studio talking to the different analysts about his approach to the plate, and they're asking him all these questions. And Travis, essentially, it just made me upset that <laughs> the MLB analysts at MLB Network, are they're kind of trying to push a narrative, I guess. So essentially, yep. what they were talking about was how do you, what's your approach in the box? And he kind of showed them how he stands, where he lines up, where he tries to swing. And then they asked him, are you, when you're up there, are you trying to hit ground ball? Are you trying to hit line drive? Are you trying to hit fly ball? What are you trying to do? And he's like, I try to hit line drives. My goal is to hit line drives. And that's, you know, as a, for an approach at the plate, that's great. That's you know? perfect, yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to say there's anything wrong with that. Obviously, whatever he's thinking up there is working because yeah. he's been a great hitter this season. Yeah. So uh, I'm not complaining about Guerrero Jr.'s mindset at all. But then the analysts were saying stuff like, oh, so you, hit, you try to hit line drives. You're not trying to do launch angle stuff, right? And in my mind, I'm not sure why. Travis, I'll ask you about it in a second. But I'm not sure why these people are so against the terms launch angle when all that really means is that when you hit the ball at the right angle, it has a better chance of leaving the ballpark. That's all that means. And yeah. we all know home run is the best possible scenario for pretty much any at-bat. Yeah, so, yeah. Hit the ball uh, as far as you can hit it. Yeah, yeah. And, and and having the correct launch angle, too high, and it's a pop-up. Yeah. And then too flat, and it's a double at best for Guerrero. But you get it just right with the right amount of power, it's a home run. So, Travis, looking at uh, Guerrero Jr.'s batted ball profile on, on StatCast the last few seasons, his ground ball percent in... 2019 was 50. Half of his balls in place wow. were ground balls. In 2020, it went up to 54. And then this season, it went down to 45. 
his fly ball percentage went from 20% of his batted balls were fly balls in 19, and then 20 was 17%. This year, it jumped up to 25%. Wow. So, and the line drive stays about the same every year. It's 22%, 24%, 24%. So, line drives every year, it's about the same. But what really changed from last year and year before to this year was less ground balls, more fly balls. And that is what made him an MVP candidate this season because we all know he has the power. There's no doubt about that. His his exit velocity has always been very good. That's why we always knew he was a superstar in the making. Um, as a young kid, the Blue Jays knew they had a great talent on their hands. But making that switch to get the ball in the air a little bit more turned a lot of singles. Because he had like a three something batting average one year, I believe. Was it his first year or his second year? I have to I have to pull that up. But I know his first year he had a lot of struggles, of course. But he had some some definite uh, highlights. I, I would definitely go past, you know, go on to saying in 2019. Yeah. So I think I think just the fact that um, there's a tweak in the approach to get the ball in the air more. I think it definitely contributed to this breakout season. And then the MLB Network guys are just trying to push this narrative of like launch angle is not what you do, right? You hit line drives. You don't try to hit the ball in the air. It's like yeah. no. You, you, you got to hit the... So, yeah, I think it was... Okay, no, this is actually... This was his career best batting average anyways. But, yeah, essentially, he always kind of had the exit velocity, but we really saw the slugging rise because he got the ball in the air. Charles, I guess, what do you make of, I guess, the MLB Network kind of guys and just different kind of baseball people being so against the words launch angle? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I think his launch angle is a, a word that's been... Kind of with a lot of other words, it's been you know almost originated or, or correctly defined the past like ten years. I think it's a it's a, you know with a lot of the advanced stats, it's kind of come up. It's as, a newer term for it, sure. It's a newer term that they all are kind of like, huh? You know, when we played in, in the nineties or eighties, which I respect. You know, basically it was hit the ball hard, and and, and that's that, that's been a term probably since back in Babe Ruth times. Hit the ball as hard as you can hit it. Yeah. Um, and so it's definitely a term that people are like, well, you know, why would you want to think about you know launch angle? Why don't you just hit the ball as hard as you can? Well, I mean. Babe Ruth was doing launch angle in 1920, but of course. I mean, he, he didn't say, I'm, I'm focusing on my launch angle. He of basically course. just had an uppercut swing that basically was thinking, okay, I'm going to get the bat of the plane down. And then once I start rising, that'll be the, the main path of where I'll make contact. And of course, where the ball's pitched, then you hit it upwards. It's going to, of course, go upwards. So I think it's 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 a term we've been doing for over 100 years, but I feel like we've started to say it in the last five years where, well, what's his launch angle? Like, yeah. what's the percentage or what's the degree? And so um, I think it's just some analysts that are really old school that think that way. Um, I, of course, agree with, you know, I, I, I you know, I'm not going to go up to the plate and think, okay, I got to get my my hands, you know, a little bit lower. I got to have my bat about five degrees higher because of course you're it, not going to overthink. It's it about it's about play. comfort as well. Exactly, exactly. And so, um, I think Vladdy just Vladdy Junior just being kind of that kind of having an old timer, you know, mindset where he's just saying, you know what, I'm going up there and the line. I mean, I, I think every good baseball player is saying, I want to hit a line drive. I'm not trying to hit a pop up or a ground ball. I want to hit a line drive because a line drive will yield an extra base hits. Um, or it will yield at, you know, beating the shift, that sort of thing. And so, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting thing that they're very, you know, against the whole like, oh, what's your launch angle, that kind of stuff, where it's kind of like you are worried about your launch angle. You want to, of course, have yeah. a launch angle. You're not you're not swinging like you're hitting a chopper. You're not, you know, it's funny because when you, when you do a hit and run, most times you're taught to almost choke up on the bat or almost hit 
downward on the ball. So your launch angle will probably be in the negatives. You know, you're not even having any sort of chance of hitting the ball out because you want to hit the ball on the ground, either to the left or the right side, depending on which plate uh, or which which uh, side you, you hit on. So, uh, yeah, I mean, kind of kind of interesting how you look at that kind of stuff. But it, it's it's funny because, I mean, we've been doing launch angles since, you know, the, the birth of baseball. You know, Babe Ruth was focused on launch angle, but he's not going to say that because he doesn't know what the hell you're talking about. He just says, I'm trying to uppercut it because I'm going to hit the ball uh, I'm 60, very far. I'm going to hit 60 home runs this year. Yeah. Exactly. And, and you know, you're going to hit the ball the furthest by hitting it the highest almost as well. So, um, and, and you look at Vladdy's swing, you look at Vladdy when he hits the ball, he totally dips his elbow and you can see him completely, his launch to, angle he cranks is, it out, yeah. he cranks it out. And, and with his line drive power, I mean, with him, he's just got to play pepper with, he plays pepper with the baseball. That ball is going to go 410 feet. So, uh, it's interesting that, that, that kind of, you know, segment happened with the only network, you know, you know guys and it was funny because i was watching them throughout the playoffs and even the world series and they were just thinking you know what you know what the hell is this opener crap why are you going with the with the with the with the closer uh you know dave roberts in the in, in the nlds and a lot of guys were against it but of course it worked out greatly and yeah it's funny how you know some schools of thought are of course uh looked upon very you know badly by some old school players and then for you know a lot of a lot of you know new more school. new school new analytics kind of stuff. It's kind of like oh, it's a brilliant idea. So um, I, I for me, I very I've accepted of course both you know schools of thought. I'm I'm not going to be right, down yeah. upon it, but I'm also not going to be. Well, let's see if it works. I think when that when that Kluber or Knavel start in the NLDS happened, I was thinking Dave Roberts will either be the biggest villain in LA or the biggest you know genius in LA because yeah. they'll look at it as like. It's almost you really can't. It's almost a you really can't win if you lose. But it's almost like if you if you lose the game, you can't really will, have they, an explanation. They will, they will look at you as exactly like one of the reasons. Exactly. So interesting that that kind of whole thing got brought up. Travis, I really like that you brought up the whole Babe Ruth thing. I've actually seen a video people have showed where Ted Williams literally is at the plate explaining his approach. And good, he's, good point. And he's talking about how he tries to slightly uppercut. And you just want the bat because when a pitcher's throwing the ball, it's coming down slightly, right? Yeah. So the fact that the ball is coming from like six feet high or or higher potentially, and it's gonna end up about like three feet high, four feet high, it's obviously uh, traveling downwards as it comes to you. So you want the bat to match the angle of the ball coming at you. So Ted Williams, are you the greatest hitter ever? You know, it's almost like simple geography, right? Yeah, geometry. Yeah. Ge- okay, geometry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Close geography. Well, that's pretty sad. I didn't <laughs> that, yeah. But but yeah, the the you have to have that uppercut to kind of match the ball, and you just that's gonna give you the best chance to make clean contact. Of course, obviously. So yeah, um, it's just funny that like yeah, like you said, the all time greats have been thinking about this kind of stuff their whole careers, but now we use the term launch angle, and people get all upset. But Anyways, Griffey too. I mean, Griffey swing. People said oh, the greatest swing of all time. That's a great example. Oh my goodness, the launch angle was just yeah, he, insane with that guy's he, swing. He was so. trying to hit the ball in the air, of course. And Travis, just looking at like modern baseball too. There's a difference of approach between guys like Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo, Travis, this year a 199 batting average, mm-hmm. still had a 121 OPS plus because he hit 38 home runs. He is trying to hit the ball as hard as he can every time up there. And he wants to hit it in the air. He's not trying to hit ground balls. And he's, he'll beat the shift sometimes just because, mm-hmm. like, they're disrespecting his speed, I guess. But um, essentially, the type of player who is just completely bought in on, like, the home run and also walks a ton, which helps his OPS. Um, but, yeah, essentially, it kind of shows that you can have a 199 batting average, which in history, I think if Joey Gallo-Travis was playing in, like, the 50s, 
They probably would have cut him. They probably would have put yeah. him to the minors because like you're batting one ninety nine. But if you look at the more like more newer school stats like OPS plus one twenty one, you're a well above average hitter. But you look at the batting average and it just kind of doesn't show that. So I think some like yeah, some newer stats might show you that um, swinging for the fences actually is the thing to do a lot of the time. It's just kind of you know I understand why old school people don't like that. And honestly, Travis, if they changed the baseball or they changed uh, the league in a way where um, it kind of favored more balls in play. That'd be great for the league, I think. You know, yeah. having guys swing for the fences is not. I'm, it's not the best thing I think for all the viewers because viewers like to see balls in play, stolen bases, guys on base, hit and run. It's fun to watch. But um, the way baseball is right now, uh, the balance of the game. Um, obviously, home runs have been king these last few seasons. No, and people like offense, and that's of course what's going to draw people into watching more games. And even like even even the World Series. I mean, we always go back to that 2017 one with the Dodgers and the Astros. I mean. Yeah, the Astros were, were were cheating, but I think everyone was like, "This is the greatest World Series ever." Well, like, the home runs were we just saw off a thirteen to twelve game, and yeah. it was a uh, decisive game five where the series is tied two two, and the winner takes the uh, crucial three two advantage. But um, offense, of course, is always going to be uh, king. I mean, even I we I remember there's a documentary that came out I think a year and a half ago, and it was about the whole summer of nineteen ninety eight with McGuire and Sosa, and baseball was just on the on the ratings path. It was on such a downward trend, yeah. and then that season saved baseball because steroid of, era literally saves baseball. You yeah. had Sosa, Griffey, McGuire, even Bonds, kind of in the shadows, still doing great things. Uh, and it's just funny how all the offense just created such a huge. Oh my God! Like this is what baseball could be about. So um, I'm sure pitchers, of course, hated it. But, uh, but right. you know, uh, it's interesting that all that kind of stuff. Pedro was fine. Gets, Pedro. No, exactly. Pedro was fine. But yeah, it's just crazy how that kind of stuff gets brought up and, and everything about that. But um, let's uh, let's move on to our next section, and this is going to be basically where um, you know, there's an article Jeff Passan had about you know the big five kind of notable uh, trades that could happen this off season with kind of players maybe nearing the end of their contract maybe the teams are looking at more at selling than you know bringing on new people so um i'll kind of start off with the first guy that he had and that is matt olson the first baseman for the oakland a's probably the most underrated first baseman in baseball right now his name is not very uh his brand and name is not a very hot commodity and part of that is because the team he plays for he in the plays market. in oakland yeah. exactly he plays in the west coast east coast teams don't really watch that much if they are they're watching dodgers they're watching padres they're probably watching Mike Trout and the Angels, nothing with Oakland. And that's what we kind of talked about last week with Bob Melvin. Oakland's always sneaking their way into the wild card, and it's kind of just like, what's what's going on with Oakland? Like, why, yeah. why is it all these little role player guys that aren't huge superstars? But Matt, Matt Olson is becoming a superstar, has yeah. really created his status in becoming a superstar. Um, Alex, you know, I wrote down a couple teams, and I think that Matt Olson, of course, would be, of course, a very good fit on these three teams. I had Yankees, Red Sox, Brewers. Yankees, of course, because they need uh power they 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 need a big power lefty, I think, because left right field at Yankee Stadium will favor lefties greatly. So I think that Matt Olson on the Yankees would be a huge, huge addition. Um, Rizzo did very well over at first base, but I think Matt Olson could do even better. And also with a great glove, he could be a superstar in New York. Also put Red Sox because as well, I think if they were to have a guy like him at first base, that would just create a almost dominant infield. They could go out there and get a stud second baseman, or even like we said last week, get a Seager, put Seager at second base, and then have Olsen at first. That'd be kind of a 
kind of a crazy juggernaut first base or for or in an infield it for would the Red be Sox. one of the best power hitting infields ever probably <laughs> exactly and then i had to of course include the brewers because the brewers need to have offense added to this team um their last big lefty probably prince fielder uh and so i think matt olson playing for the brewers would of course give a huge boost to that offense and i'm pretty sure matt olson would like to play with you know the best in my opinion the almost one of the best starting pitch starting rotations um in baseball with burns woodruff and uh, Peralta as well. So uh, those are my three teams. Who do you have as kind of like a big contender, a big player in the Matt Olsen uh, sweepstakes? Yeah, I think you pick three just perfect teams that make great fits. The, Charles, the Yankee fans are just raving. They just want Olsen. Trade for Olsen. Trade yeah. for Olsen. I see, you see it on, online all the time. Um, and yeah, Olsen's numbers this season, uh, it would show that he'd be one of their best hitters right out there with Judge and Stanton. Um, and I think he fits perfectly there because like we said, the lefty, there's not that many lefties in their batting order. Um, they have they are, of course went and got Gallo and Rizzo because they wanted those lefties. Rizzo's gonna be a free agent. If I think they want to trade for Olsen, then maybe they could keep Rizzo if they miss out on Olsen and anyone else like that. But um, I think at the end of the day, um, the Yankee fans really want him a lot, and I think they'll give up kind of whatever it takes. I think they know their window's kind of right now, and they have you know Judge and Stanton still. Um, I Judge's contract, I think, is a couple years left before yeah. he has to hit the free agency. But and he's, I, you know, he's actually getting older. He's almost thirty. Yeah, and, so. and Cole, of course, getting older, Stanton getting mm-hmm. older. Let me, you already kind of old. So I think that they know they want to try to win like this year, next year, year after at the latest. So I think pushing for a guy like Olsen while he's still on this kind of cheaper contract, and uh, obviously just probably a great three or four hitter, a lefty right in the middle of all those great hitters. So he that makes so much sense. I know the Red Sox, I think that they said they wanted to really keep Schwarber. Obviously, that's up to Schwarber, and he could go. He's kind of linked to a lot of different kind of locations. Uh, people, you know, I think almost everyone wants that big lefty bat if he can keep up what he did last season. But um, hey, Interesting. Schwarber and Olsen both can play first and right field. So it's kind of interesting. You can definitely keep both, and they don't know what's going to happen yet with J.D. Martinez. His name, of course, is on the free agency market. So a lot of things Red Sox could look at that, that this offseason. So. That is a good point with the DH spot potentially opening up in Boston. Um, and then, Travis, another thing is there's so many teams that we aren't even thinking about. If the NL adds a DH, um, guys like Schwarber uh, are going to have so many suitors because these teams don't have a DH in mind. Yeah. If the Brewers had to add a DH right now, Travis, I don't know who they put off their benches, their DH. It, I mean, I guess they you would, would have to go get a, a big power bat. Yeah. So with that in mind, all these kind of NL teams would need to add someone like that. So... Um, Olsen on the Brewers would be so awesome. Uh, I agree that they just need some power bats so they can compete for our World Series because it showed in the playoffs that's all they were missing was these was these bats. So um, I'm not going to add any teams. I think those three all make too much sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the, all the fits. Another team, like maybe like, uh, I'm trying to think of teams that are, might lose someone. Like if the Freeman were not to re-sign with the Braves, yeah, Olsen true. could make a lot of sense there. He kind of more matches the age of... He's a little bit younger than Freeman, so he could kind of be closer to Acuna and Riley in age. But um, I and, think, and, and if I'm not mistaken, he's actually from Georgia, and so really he's okay. from he's from the Georgia Atlanta area. So, but the issue be, is that Freeman probably stays exactly. But, but exactly, but um, yeah, it's just kind of interesting. There's so many good suitors, and these things are hard to predict. But Olsen should be the target from anyone who needs a power bat. I agree with that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And so the second big name uh, on the list was Luis Castillo, the starting pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds, had a you know, it was a good and bad season this year. I know, he, I think either his first half or his second half was very good. And then, of course, the other half was rocky. Yeah, I, I had him in fantasy, so I can tell you exactly how, <laughs> I can tell you exactly how that went. At, at the beginning, Travis, something was just wrong. The first, like, 
five, six starts. I think he had the worst ERA amongst like qualified pitchers. Okay. He had like, I think he had the most base hits in the qualified pitchers. He just was giving up contact left and right. And about halfway through the season, he figured something out and he got way, way, way better. And every once in a while, he'd have a kind of a bad start, but for the most part, like like the last like middle third and, and and the last third of the season, he was just super, super good. Pretty much picking up where he left off in, in previous years. So mm-hmm. um he definitely should be at the top of people who are trying to trade for pitchers. Uh, Travis, I'll go ahead and give my teams. Yeah. So I think that someone that obviously wants him a lot is the Yankees. The Yankees are kind of trying to be in on everyone. That's the way they are. They try to trade for the big names. Um, they're kind of down the clean house of their farm system, I think. And so. definitely save some money. Right, because he will be a cheaper option at pitcher. Um, and there might be some spots in their rotation for him. So that makes a lot of sense in my mind. Travis, as an Angels fan, we obviously both want him to come to Anaheim. Definitely. We know that we need pitching. We think we have a couple uh, prospects that could intrigue the, the Reds. They will probably end up asking for like an Adele or a Marsh, which I would be hesitant to give up um, just because Castillo, I believe, only has two years. So it's kind of giving us a two-year window to try to win. Yeah. And then if we don't win a World Series in that time, it's like, okay, we just gave up our top two outfielders for what? And he but, doesn't re-sign, of course. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then the re-signing is another whole factor that makes a difference if you want them to come to you or not. Um and another team that I think I've heard people say, people saying that this team is in on Castillo, they want Castillo, is the Mariners, which um, would surprise me because I feel like the Mariners, I'm not sure when is their time to say let's go all in, but if they think it's right now, then I think that they would make some big moves. I think DePoto is probably thinking, okay, the West is kind of opening up in the AL a little bit, and I think he's down to make big splashes. We knew it as an Angels GM, he made big splashes. Um and obviously the the Mariners have developed a, a nice young core. So uh, if they got a pitcher like um, Castillo and maybe trade for another bat or something, they could be very scary. So um, those teams all kind of make sense in my mind. But pretty much any team, Travis, would use a great pitcher Definitely. like Castillo. He's our frontline starter. Um, there's no team that should be saying, oh, we don't need a pitcher because he would be a great addition for anyone. Definitely. I'm glad you said those three teams was the exact same three teams I, really? wrote, I wrote down so wow. yeah so you got those spot on so we each other's minds yeah so and like i guess yeah yankees and angels of course are definites that make total sense yankees have a lot of prospects i feel like the yankee fans on twitter and everywhere they always keep on throwing out oh we have clint frazier miguel andujar we have yeah, we have funny. we have all these guys so they definitely have a lot of guys that are but baseball or you know professional ready right now but yeah the, what are the reds going to do with like those like exactly like, and new hearts? and like, i think the reds want to of course find someone that would be like an adele or marsh where they're very young and they're still kind of building up both those guys had very good seasons last year as they kind of progressed um and into, the, the yankees have plenty of like triple a or like double yeah, a talent or even jason dominguez who's their biggest kind of uh yeah everyone thinks is a freak show because he's a switch hitter and they say he's like a mike trout or, a, or mickey mantle so um, but, but but completely right. Like there's tons of position players as well as pitchers in their system that would be great that are not like MLB ready. Because Travis, I don't know how the Reds approach this because they have some weird kind of they have a weird kind of roster construction, construction right now. Because Votto is getting old. He mm-hmm. still shows he's very good, but he's getting old. I don't know how much longer he'll be in the league. Um, I think it's like 37, 38. He's, he's it, getting he's it, getting it's, up there. It's old. It's old. Yeah. And then they have some young pitching with Castillo. And Gray, of course, and then there's some young youngsters in the bullpen that have showed good promise too. But um, Mustakis is on like a he's, expensive deal for yeah. how well he's <laughs> playing. It's not very good at yeah. all. Uh, Castellanos probably goes somewhere else in the off season. Yep. Who was pretty much probably their best player last year. 
Um, Suarez is eh, Suarez I mean. uh, had a really hot I think end of the season but overall the numbers aren't very good they don't have a shortstop yeah. so Senzel like, I know has been a guy that's been their youth as their one of their top guys but I haven't really seen too much of him so, be a huge performer so. so yeah with all these kind of weird question marks on their team uh, obviously just, they just traded away Tucker Barnhart one of their catchers so yeah. I don't know if they're saying let's try to retool for a couple years or if they say let's do a complete rebuild or if they say we want you know, someone in return that's ready right now and we're going to compete this year. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the mindset is at all, but they have some decisions to make. Um, so I think a team like the Yankees, like we said, they have MLB, MLB ready options. They have guys in the minors and they have guys that are going to be ready in like two or three or four years, like, mm-hmm. like Jason Dominguez, who yep. are going to be not ready for a while, but would be very viable. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, moving on to the third guy on the list, and this is a very interesting one that Passon put out, Byron Buxton. Byron mm. Buxton, of course, was an absolute stud in the month of April this season. Has dealt with a lot of injuries, was very off and on after that. But I remember in April, I think he put together like a 2.3 war, which for one month is honestly, I mean, that that that's almost, you're on pace to set the all-time war in a single season record. I mean, he was unstoppable. The power was insane. The speed, the defense was all top-notch. He definitely is a guy that was showing, you know, great track to be the next great center fielder in MLB. And so right now the twins are offering him, I guess, to maybe be on the trade market for, uh, you know, a lot of suitors. And, you know, he's a guy that came into the league was a very high prospect. Didn't start very well at, you know, didn't start at a, at a hot level like they wanted him to, but he's really grown into that superstar now and very well could be, uh, a very good impact player moving forward. So for me, Alex, the big teams I had for Byron Buxton, number one actually is four teams because I had one was kind of a, a, a couple were f- like almost like fantasy, almost like this would be just be an insane outfield. But mm-hmm. one, I had the Phillies. Right now, the Phillies outfield, not very good. I mean, you have Bryce Harper and that's about it. No more McCutcheon. Center field, I think they might have had uh, Hedera or, or right or yeah. It, 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 I don't say it's yeah and so right now the Phillies I think need to make some adjustments to their outfield with only having Harper and if they want to make some serious push in the NL East they're going to have to of course improve their team so Byron Buxton in my in my opinion makes sense on the Phillies also put the Marlins because the Marlins of course have a ton of prospects and they already said they are looking for outfielders for their roster so i can see byron buxton possibly being even traded to the marlins um just because of course the twins would love to get a bunch of good young starting pitchers from possibly the marlins who they have a ton of yeah and they're, they're looking to trade their starting pitchers and so could see that deal going down the last two that i had that are kind of just my fantasy kind of like wow it would be the padres and the braves i would just be it would for me it would just be insane to see buxton and acuna manning the outfield yeah in, Atlanta, as well as with maybe even Soler, Rosario, Duvall, whoever they want to keep maybe in that other spot. But having those two in the outfield would just be an absolute, like, oh my God, this offense is so good. The, the defense out there is right there, right next to the to the, um, to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, so that would be special. And then also with the Padres, I feel like the Padres are just always in on big names. And I feel like getting a guy like Buxton would be something that they could do. They could possibly move Grisham, or they could even have Buxton play a corner outfield spot. I don't know what they would do, or maybe they would send Grisham away. That that would that would be very comparable to uh, 
a Betts Bellinger, like having Grisham and, exactly. and Buxton, those are just two like all, all just all MLB defenders. Exactly, and, and maybe they even think about. I mean, I know it'd be tough, but maybe they send someone like uh, Cronenworth out of there. Um, they could do something like that where they can really kind of think about what they would give away to the Twins. Uh, I'm guessing the Twins maybe maybe they don't want a, a young prospect. Maybe they want someone that's young but has proven themselves in the majors. So. I look at that as Byron Buxton as, you know, those are kind of my teams. I think the Phillies need a guy like Buxton, and I think the Marlins, of course, would love to have a guy like him as well, building for the future. Um, Byron Buxton, Alex, who would you kind of think as being a big player for that player, for, for in, in his market? Yeah, so he is someone that I think pretty much anyone who needs an outfielder should be looking at him, knocking on the door. Um, like most of my picks, Travis, Yankees will be in on him. <laughs> yeah. They are someone who has had a hole at center field this season. Gardner played a lot of innings there, and that's just not who you want to be playing center field on your team when you're trying to win a World Series. That's, that's their goal. So um, they have the prospects to gouge out to the Twins and just say, give us, you know, give us Buxton. An outfield that has uh, Judge and right, Buxton center. And you could say, I, I think they should put Stan in left, but like you could do whatever mm-hmm. you want, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would just be such an elite outfield, of course, with the bats. Um, Travis Buxton is the kind of guy who, honestly, looking at his numbers, like you, you look at, you say like, okay, what's this? What's this young player's ceiling? What's their floor? I think his ceiling is best player in MLB. I think he can be that kind of player. His five tool nature, the defense and the arm and the speed is already Hall of Fame. Well, there's no question there, right? There's, I mean, I mean there's it's, no it's literally Willie May is playing center field right now. Yeah, right. And then his his a lot of his, his batting stats were obviously they're amazing this season. Um, it was a small sample size, I think like sixty some games. But Travis, I think his WAR let me four point five WAR in, in sixty one. I mean, and Travis, there's wow. there's a funny conversation on Twitter this week, and it was uh, it that's was insane. It was uh, what's his name? I'm trying to think of the uh, the Saber Metrics like Godfather. What, what's his oh, name? Bill James. Bill James, of course. Bill James was like getting an argument on Twitter, and they're talking about like how many players in the MLB could actually put up a four point five WAR in 60 games and like in my mind that list is like tiny i think there's like i don't know i think there's like single digit number of people that could do that in the mlb right now but um yeah buxton is obviously a superstar in the making with that kind of potential um the yankees make a lot of sense in my mind i think they need a center fielder um the padres are very interesting i never thought about that travis because i don't know how they would reconstruct their outfield maybe you could put like myers in left Grisham and right, you, you they figure it out. Grisham obviously played some right field for the Brewers, but um, that defense for the Padres would be amazing, and I think that's something that they could probably look to you know keep improving on. So, lots of good options and good teams um, are going to want to be on him because if he is actually available, if they're taking offers for Buxton, I think he has the potential to like kind of change a franchise. Honestly, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I think Yankees make the most sense, but. I don't know. I feel like it's a little early to be selling him, trading him away, but uh, I just we'll, we'll I, see, do, I, I do know he's a free agent next next year. I just saw that, and that is actually pretty interesting because his I, don't, sur- I don't know if the Twins want to maybe cough up a, 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 a you know a contract that's going to be well probably north of two hundred million dollars. So that's true, yeah. And, and plus, the big thing with Buxton is the injuries. He has not had a healthy season. You look back to twenty seventeen. He played one hundred and forty games since then. 
it has been, I mean, he's not even playing 50% of almost a season. So yeah. the injuries for him are what's costing him the big money, I think, being offered to him right now. And that's why the Twins are saying to themselves right now, he had an absolute ridiculous 61 games this year with a 4.5 war. Someone's going to, I mean, that that's a superstar status right there. I mean, this guy literally would put together a 10 war season right now. Um, I, I mean, I'm looking at even at 2020 and 2021, he played in total 100 games if you combine both years. Alex, he had 32 homers. Mm. I mean, 32 home runs in 100 games. You put that in a 160-game season if he, you know, sits out a couple games. But, I mean, you're looking at a 45-something home run year, maybe a 50-home run season with the defense speed and arm that he's got. The, comp, the comp has to be Mays. Like it, it, yeah. I, I mean, you're looking at a, a, a same thing, yeah, as, as Willie Mays. And so it's, it's absolutely insane. Um, and it's just sad that he just cannot catch a break with the injury bug and, and that could be the big thing that really costs him you know having a mega deal so yeah and uh, I, I do like how it goes i do like the phillies and yankees picks we mentioned also because they don't really have a leadoff hitter and he'd no. be a great in a, in a leadoff spot like a power speed leadoff guy is something that's kind of a unique thing that we see a lot in the league today acuna gets tons of leadoff uh reps tatis had some leadoff games uh this year as well tons of these power speed combo guys get these leadoff spots and the phillies leadoff I don't, they've been using different guys like Segura, yeah. different options. I think that they need a real everyday leadoff guy. Could be like a Buxton. Same for Yankees. I don't think Lemay Hughes is the leadoff guy for the future for them. The, the bat's been declining. He should probably be like a nine-hitter maybe. And so I think Buxton would be a great choice for them to bat, uh, bat leadoff right, right before Judge. Cause some mayhem on the base paths when your sluggers are at the plate. So um, yeah. I think those fits all make sense. Definitely, definitely. Um, next guy on the list, which is really a surprise. I, I'm very surprised he thought of this guy, but it is Josh Hader. Josh Hader for the Milwaukee Brewers. He is scheduled to be a free agent in 2024. So right now he's got two seasons pretty much left um, before he, of course, hits free agency. Uh, Josh Hader, as we know, the last two, three, four seasons, he's just been, he's unhittable. I mean, he is a freak when it comes to coming into games and closing them out. Uh, a ton of strikeouts. I mean, last season he had 58 and two-thirds innings pitched, 102 strikeouts, almost two strikeouts every inning that he pitched. Um, it's just pretty insane. So he's a guy that's on the trade market, Alex. I had, of course, three teams again that could be in on a hater. Of course, I had Phillies. Phillies are a team I had for even Kenley Jansen. I think they need to go out and get a defined bullpen. So he, of course, is a uh, on the Phillies, I think, track. Also Red Sox. I think Red Sox really don't, they, they just, I feel like they don't have a really attractive, full of, you know, attractive name bullpen. It, I, it showed against the Astros. Exactly. And I feel like Hayter's a guy that would, would definitely fare and look very well in a Red Sox uni. So I had Red Sox in that in mind. And then also I have Mets. I think Mets and Phillies are the two teams right now that need to clean that kind of stuff up when it comes to moving forward. And, you know, I think in 2020, the Mets blew, I, I think they had a streak of how many games they blew in a row. Or maybe it was the first 20 games of the season in 2020. It was the Mets bullpen, I think, had a nine ERA. And so wow. I look back to that season and also in 2021, as well as the Phillies having the worst bullpen in baseball in 2020. Those two teams, I think, need to definitely course correct and bring in some big names to fix that bullpen. I had Hater for that. Any idea or any places? I mean, any anyone can use a guy like Hater. Any team could use him. Of course. Him, so. He'd be a huge plus for most teams. I think the teams that will be in on him are the teams that are going to be win now, right? Because mm -hmm. I think he has two more years on this current deal. Yep. A yep. free agent in 2024. So um, with that in mind, uh, you pretty much are saying which teams really want to win in the next two years. Um, 
One thing that kind of makes sense is if the White Sox uh, are going to, I think there's rumors they're going to trade Kimbrell, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they want to trade Kimbrell to a team that he can be the closer. I think w- one thing that went wrong with him in, in Chicago was Liam Hendricks was the closer sometimes. And, yep. and uh, Hendricks, I think, I think they kind of learned this later on, but Kimbrell really thrives in that ninth inning, and Hendricks can kind of pitch any time. Hendricks likes going crazy in that amount of innings. He wants to pitch like 100 innings yeah. like in the season. Yeah. He just wants to pitch a bunch. So he should really be like a 7th, 8th inning guy, Hendricks. Even the 5th inning or 4th inning, if like the pitcher really struggles, you need, you, need to get, you need to get out of a jam, essentially. But Kimbrell wants to be a ninth inning guy. So I think they might move Kimbrell. And if they did, they could bring in a guy like Hayter. That'd be super, super stacked righty-lefty. Hayter, uh, Hendricks, bullpen would be, would be just nuts. Uh, another team I think is definitely in win now mode is the Dodgers. They know that you know, um, I guess guys like Kershaw Scherzer could leave, but I think if they just load up on the bullpen, they can kind of compensate for some losing some starting pitching. I just think the Dodgers are a team that favors having kind of short term deals, short term options, and a couple years they'll figure out something else. Right? They uh, got Mookie Betts for like a one year, extended them, uh, getting Scherzer for one year. We'll find out if they extend them or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trey Turner on their team for a couple years now. They'll figure it out when they get there. They kind of will make these kind of moves for these guys who will have for a, a year or two, and they'll figure it out when they get there. We can release them if that doesn't work. We can uh, re-sign them because who doesn't want to play for a winning organization, which is the Dodgers are kind of been every year this whole decade almost. But mm-hmm. um, Hater in L.A. Dodgers makes a lot of sense to me. Um, also, Travis, a team that is all in on the present right now is the Padres. I think San Diego will make a push for Hayter. Um, their bullpen was not bad. Uh, Melanson had a, a good year, but I know there are some Pomeranz injuries that kind of helped him from being an elite like setup guy. Um, and there's some other bullpen struggles that they had. So I think that adding a guy like Hayter, he could be their everyday closer, and you can just kind of add on to that. Um, like I said, teams that want to win now should be looking into Hayter because um, you have two years of a guy who's going to be locked down in the bullpen. So Easily, easily. Um, and that those are some good yeah cases that you brought up. The last guy on uh, Passon's list, Catel uh, Marte. Catel Marte, of course, 2019 absolute breakout stud year for the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. Really, only thing the Diamondbacks I think look forward to and fans look forward to is Catel Marte. This year only played 90 games, but had a very solid year. Batted 318 with a 909 OPS and a 143 OPS plus. So in those 90 games, he was very solid. Uh, for the Diamondbacks. And what I really like about him, of course, is the utility kind of player he is. He plays center field and also the middle infield, shortstop and second base. Alex, when I see him and I see about potential trades, one team that actually rings, a, you know, makes a lot of sense is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, I think right now with them moving forward, they have Trey Turner at short and they have Lux at second. I think the Dodgers are a team that's really not scared to trade away top prospects. I could see them possibly even giving Lux to the Diamondbacks for Cattell Marte to play second base. Also, if they want him to play a little bit of outfield, they can have him in center field, um, depending on if, if Bellinger you know, maybe needs some time to set off. Who knows what's going to happen next season with him. In- Bellinger, of course, can go to first base. Like, exactly. There's so many options. That makes, yeah. Exactly. And, of course, even if there's a DH, you can even have some sort of you know mix and movement there. But I see Dodgers being a could be a huge factor for a guy like Cattell. They might want a guy that's a veteran, good bat right now, and they say, you know what, we're going to get rid of Lux. 
um, our time to win is still right now. So I see Dodgers. Also see Red Sox. Red Sox need a second baseman as well. Could also have him and Kike be a, be a very nice platoon in center and second, center and second, kind of moving back and forth. Mm, yeah. um, can see that as well. Also can see, again, I say it again, the Phillies. I think the Phillies need to start looking at players who are – going to win them right now. Segura is a good player at second. I think he can play some, maybe some shortstop, but I don't know if his glove is very uh, is going to be a very good you know case right. at, uh, at the uh, shortstop position. But Marte can play short, and he can play center field. I think those are two big holes for the Phillies. I don't know if they want to move forward with Didi Gregorius. He has really just proven to not be a very right. effective bat and baseball player for their team. So I think Cattell Marte, again, could be very useful for some of these uh, organizations. Those are the top three I really looked at and said these are possibly the best suitors. So who would you say in, in Cattell Marte's you know, mar- or market, um, who would be possibly even the best suitor for them? Yeah, I think all those teams you mentioned make a, a good amount of sense. Uh, another team I would be looking at is again. I'm mentioning them again. The Yankees do not. <laughs> yeah. I, I think. I think Yankees I, need everybody. Yeah. I, th- I think that they are just kind of in on anyone that is on the market. They will have a meeting, and a big hole of theirs is oh, Travis. Much like uh, much like the the Phillies, shortstop is an issue, and center field is an issue. They need to address both of those. So I think that. If they miss on like a guy like Seager, you could get Cattell to play shortstop. Or if you get like a Seager, Correa, whoever it is, you can put Cattell in center field. And Charles, if they manage to get one of those big, uh, if they, I mean, the potential is off the rails for every offseason for the Yankees of what they could add. But, you know, they're in on Olsen. They're in on all these shortstops. If they've got Cattell Marte to add to all that, it would just be the ultimate powerhouse. Um, always a good team to bet on, I feel like, because they just have the crazy amount of talent that they could pull to their team. But yeah, I think the. Cattell could fit on so many teams because how many teams feel great about second and short and center field? I think most teams could use uh, an, an idea or like, you know, he will be an improvement for them in one of those spots. He just has to be because he's that mm-hmm. good of a player. Mm-hmm. You mentioned his stats, Travis. In 2019, he also, I think, was like top like six or top five uh, in MVP voting for the National League. He had a super great year. And then this season, Travis, he honestly was having superstar rate-based stats, but of course the games played was an issue. Staying on the field was a little bit of an issue, but um, kind of like Buxton, if he gets the games played, he's going to be an absolute menace. So yep. um, everyone should be you know trying to get a meeting if he's on the market. Um, yeah, he's one of my favorite players. So I do think that a big team should go and get him, and he could be a big difference maker in a postseason series. So no, definitely. I even looking at that twenty nineteen season, he was low key one of like the scariest you know middle infielders you know yeah. in baseball. So and the versatility, uh, like yeah. he could fit in so many spots. Yeah, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Alex, I'm gonna throw one more at you. He wasn't on Passon's list, but one big name, of course, is Jose Ramirez. He, of course, in our opinion, he was all MLB uh, third baseman with just kind of being so versatile, the power, the speed, the defense, everything he kind of brings to the table. I want to throw his name out there because he could technically be a guy that literally could make a break or, you know, really could just create a huge offense for some of these uh, teams in baseball. So for me, Alex, I had three teams that I picked out. One was the Blue Jays. I said, right now the Blue Jays really didn't have a third baseman last season. I'm, I'm trying to remember even who was even at third baseman. I base. think they kind of cycled through, like, Lourdes Correa Jr. and, like, different guys. Different utility Biggio guys. maybe, too. Yeah, different utility guys got the spot. Yep. Yeah, and so I had him being a Blue Jay because – if they were to bring back Simeon, I mean, oh my God, that infield is 
ridiculous. One of the most insane, yeah. Ridiculous. So I had him as just a almost a dream uh, place to go would be the would be the Blue Jays. Also the Yankees. I think the Yankees would love to have a guy like Ramirez sign a guy like Seager, a Seager Ramirez left side with that power, with playing in that right you know right field porch. I know Seager. Or I know Ramirez is a switch hitter, but both of those lefties. I mean, unbelievable at Yankee Stadium. They could trade away a lot of their players. They could give up Urshela. They could give up you know Frazier. Frazier would actually be going back to the Indians. Um, he was I think a key guy in uh, the I think it was the Andrew Miller trade. But they could get a lot of guys to get Ramirez back to the Yankees. And then last guy also was also the Mets. So I had the Mets on there as well because third base, I think they could get a huge improvement. Really funny because they had the Lindor trade last offseason. It'd be really funny to have Lindor Ramirez playing the left side for the New York Mets. Uh, kind of an interesting reunion for them to play right there. But I think that'd mean, that, that would definitely put the Mets in a serious position to, okay, we, we want to win the division this year. This is our league uh, or our, our division. Uh, you know, we don't see Nationals. We don't see Marlins really making huge threats this year. It's the Braves and also the um, the Phillies. But right now, we don't know if the. I mean, who knows? The Braves could really just have a huge, you know, championship hangover where they really don't provide too much of a spark next year. So, I had Ramirez. Those are his three three big teams: Toronto or the two New York teams. And any idea who you think would be? You know, of course, everyone would be an excellent suitor for Ramirez. But who in your mind would be uh, a top place for him? Yeah, um, he's on a super team-friendly deal, Travis. I keep hearing about this. Uh, I believe it was a $12 million team option that the Indians picked up this season. So he they could have opted out, which, of course, why would you? For $12 million, you're getting one of the best players in the American League. A team that makes sense in my mind is the Brewers, a team that needs bats. Very true. Yep. And third base is a bit of a hole. Of course, you could they have guys like Eduardo Escobar that can play there. Um, they were sliding different guys there last season. But if you wanted an everyday third baseman that is going to um, be also a great bat, which is what they need, um, he'd be a great option. He could even bat lead off for them. I think it'd be a great move um, for them to pursue Jose Ramirez. I always thought the Dodgers would try to get a Jose Ramirez type to play third base. I think there's one more year on a, on a Justin Turner's contract, so I don't think it makes sense for them to do it this offseason. But um, I think that, the, yeah, the, there are a handful of, of teams that are in win-now mode that know that Jose Ramirez is, is definitely the difference maker that they could they could have. He does play a little second base, too. So uh, That is very true. Honestly, I think, you know, secondary position-wise, uh, both middle infield spots, he has some experience in. So, um, And, of course, he's the kind of guy who I think he just, he's ready to buckle down and just whatever the coach asks, he's going to do it, and he's going to do it really well. So... Um, I think a lot of teams, I think it's a lot of surprising teams that are like, they can go from contender to super team by adding Jose Ramirez. So yeah, yeah. it'll be on a lot of teams' radars. I like the teams you mentioned. I really hope, the. I just keep hoping all Brewers can get some of these guys. No. I want Brewers to make a splash trade um, on a guy like Jose Ramirez. Um, you know, any third baseman really would make a lot of sense or a first baseman uh, like Olsen or someone like that. They, but. they have the potential to be like, I'm not going to say super team, but they if a couple key pieces can go yeah. their if way. they got two or three all-star bats. They can yeah. be one of the scariest teams in the NL, if not baseball right now. I mean, the pitching and the and the bullpen right now is already top-notch if they don't give away Hayter and they have Devin Williams and Hayter. I mean, it's, it's pretty locked down. And, you know, providing an offense that um, would just yield, you know, easily probably five runs a night, you could just say those are easy dubs for the Brewers almost every single night that all those, the three-headed monster for the pitching rotation goes out there. But, um, good, good take on those teams. Of course, you know, Brewers, I think are, should be 
very well in the hunt for a lot of offensive yeah. performers. So if the price is right or if the trade looks good, I think they should definitely, you know, shoot their shot and uh, make it happen. Alex, I think the last thing I want to talk about really quickly, we've been really seeing a lot of, like we said, ridiculous top uh, 10 power rankings. Um, I just want to kind of go and run through ours right now. Basically looking at it, I want to go through the teams that all the players that are free agents are free agents. So right now, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the Braves as they don't have Freddie Freeman right now. So everyone that's a free agent, um, you know, doesn't really contribute or count to some of these teams on the power rankings. I just want to look at the teams that are right now still a very, very, you know, strong team, even if they don't sign their players back. So um, with going with that, Alex, uh, do you want to start with your top five or do you want me to kick it off? Uh, go ahead. Okay. So... Basically, we'll do it the same that we did throughout the season. I'll go through my top five. You can go through yours. I think this will be a little less controversial because we can kind of look at ways that it is or isn't should be in the top five. But um, for me, Alex, number one, I have the L.A. Dodgers. L.A. Dodgers right now, if they didn't sign anyone, I firmly believe they'd still be a very good contender for the NL West division. They still have a top-notch infield with Muncie, Lux, Trey Turner, Turner, Trey Turner, and Justin Turner, and then, of course, Will Smith behind the plate. You still have Betts, you still have Bellinger, you still have Pollock, you still have a rotation that has Bueller and Urias. You still have a great team. You still have a dynamic, just dominant bullpen. So the Dodgers are still number one, in my opinion. Number two, the Rays. The Rays just got a lot better by having a young shortstop, Wander Franco. And the way he performed in the postseason, I mean, this guy's on the verge of becoming a superstar. So I think the Rays are number two in the power rankings. Number three, I have the Houston Astros. They lost Correa. They're losing Granke and Verlander. Not huge. I feel like, you know, subtractions. We didn't see Verlander at all this year. The, the Astros were very good. Granke was okay. Losing him is not going to be a huge minus. Losing Correa, of course, will be a huge, huge player. They need to really think about, you know, substituting. But I, I figure out they'll, they'll get a way to, you know, find someone to replace him. Even while that offense is still top-notch in the American League. So I have Astros still number three in the power rankings right now as we head into the offseason. Number four, I have the Atlanta Braves. You know, of course, winning the World Series was huge. Uh, we've seen that, you know, some of even their, their low-key, you know, you wouldn't really expect these performers to come out and play uh, for the Atlanta Braves, and they did. So I expect them to still have a very good roster and good team. We saw the pitching staff. I think the whole entire pitching staff is staying the same. So you literally have Morton, you have uh, Freed, you have Ian Anderson. You even also have probably Soroka playing next year as well with Acuna coming back. So I feel like the Braves are still a very strong team. They're my number four team. Number five, I have the Chicago White Sox. Um, again, they're po they're probably going to maybe lose Carlos Rodon. And then, of course, their bullpen could get a little bit, you know, readjusted. But I don't see the White Sox. They're not losing too much. They're still going to be a very powerful team in the AL Central. Those are my five. Kind of run through who your top five are. Yeah, a lot of similar teams, of course. Um, my first overall team is the Dodgers. I just think that talent-wise... Yes, there's a potential they can lose a lot of guys like Scherzer, Kershaw, uh, Seager, of course. But um, even if they kept none of them, they still... If they kept no one and they were not allowed to sign anyone, still a good team. they would still make the playoffs. Yeah. They're still just too good, even without those guys. Um, Starters are my first team uh, for, I think, obvious reasons. There's too much talent. Rays, Travis, are my second team. I just think that the Rays uh, are not... the way They've designed a team... They don't lose that much in free agency because no. it's all young contracts, favorable for team contracts. So they're going to be the same pretty much, and they just won 100 games. They're going to lose Nelson Cruz, I think, but, you know. That's it. I don't think – they, they, they hardly he, – he was obviously a good hitter, but he did not make a huge impact for their team. They're all about, like, the platooning and, like, these young guys. They're going to find 
a way to be either at the top of the division or yeah. at least in the playoffs. They're my second team. Third, I have the Astros. I think that, yes, Correa is a big loss, but it's kind of their only loss. Like you mentioned, Granke and Verlander have not been that impactful last year or two. So with that in mind, um, you can kind of say that they're only losing really one big shortstop piece. They could easily fill that with someone else. Or even if they don't, if they just bring up a minor leaguer, like the offense is still very, very good. Framer, Luis Garcia are going to get just better over time. McCullers, hopefully, is a healthy season. There's still a lot of promise there with the Astros, I think. My fourth pick is going to be the Milwaukee Brewers. So I'll have them a bit higher, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think they're not losing a lot of huge pieces. Their rotation is going to stay the same. Their bullpen, uh, Williams uh, and, and Haters, uh, elite eight, ninth inning guys. Um, there's also a lot of pitching depth they have uh, coming up. So I just think that um, there's a lot to be, I guess, looking forward to. They obviously kind of flamed out in the division series in an unfavorable way. But if we remember how high we were, how high we were on them in the regular season, like 95-win team. I thought they were going to World Series. <laughs> yeah, a 95-win team, and they're not really losing anybody. I don't know how you could you know uh, be that worried about them. They probably do add more pieces, but as they are right now, they're my fourth team. Fifth team will be White Sox. I think that, like we keep saying, they're not losing that many key, key pieces. Rodon might be on the move. I think they're not keeping him around. But um, they're pitching. There's just too many good options in the bullpen. And as well as the rotation is very solid. And other guys, Travis, are going to keep getting better. Makata, a young player, probably he's getting better. Luis Robert, looks like he's on track to be a superstar. But just for now, he's going to be getting better. Um, uh, Yeah. Jimenez had a great return, too. If they can have a complete season from Robert and... Jimenez, that's just going to be some great offense. And that division feels like it's almost an easy win for them, so they're my fifth team. That's very good, very good. Um, I guess I'll continue with my six through ten. Um, six is actually, that's where I put the Brewers. Brewers right there, um, number six, like you said it, the pitching staff, the the bullpen, it's it's nothing really to touch right there. It's it's perfect. Um, the best thing, of course, this offseason is to go out and get an offense that can provide you, you know, these wins in the playoffs because we saw them get shut out, which... You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna win a game if you're gonna get shut out. So, getting offense, of course, is their big focus. I think this off season, they're not my number six team. Um, just from what they did last season, 95 wins, they look like a complete and a very good team. Number seven, I have the San Diego Padres. San Diego Padres had already an addition with Bob Melvin, so I kind of accounted that for my power ranking. Also, they're getting an addition with Mike Clevenger. Mike Clevenger is coming back from Tommy John, so he'll be ready next year. You already have a Clevenger, Darvish, Snell, uh, Musgrove. Musgrove. It's very stacked. And even a lot of good players. So the Padres still are a team that has a great, uh, you know, they still have a great roster. Tatis will get healthy over the offseason. So Padres are still a team that, you know, you really don't want to play next season. So they are my number seven team. Number eight team, I have the Blue Jays. Um, the Blue Jays, you know, they're interesting to say because Robbie Ray and Mats and Semyon are free agents, so they might not even get any of them. I still think they are a very good team. Um, with the way they finished last season, Alex, I would argue to anyone that the Blue Jays were honestly probably the best team on the last day of the season of 2021. They swept the Orioles. I think they literally scored 12 runs or more in every game. Their offense was on an insane uh, streak that was... It was just mind-blowing, and they were a team that missed the playoffs barely, but I would definitely argue that if they were put into the playoffs, the Blue Jays honestly could be standing uh, you know, with the World Series trophy. Their offense was legit, and they had a good pitching staff as well. 
Uh, I had Toronto number eight. I just love the way they finish. I think they have just have a great core of guys. Um, I think Biggio, of course, will get better. I think he had a little bit of a, of a stint last year that was, you know, wasn't great, but they still have a great uh, core of guys coming through the system. Number number nine, I have the New York Yankees. Uh, you know, anytime you have Garrett Cole and you have Aaron Judge, I think you give yourself a great shot to win a ball game. So I think the Yankees, of course, still have a good shot to, you know, continue and grow. Um, still some guys coming up. I think they just have a lot of good players that just had poor 2021s or were injured in 2021. So I still like the Yankees as a very good team right now. I think they, of course, need to have in some improvements. So I'll have them in the in the you know the end of my top 10, number nine. Number 10, I have the St. Louis Cardinals just because, again, they're not really losing any pieces. We saw them take over the gold glove, you know, selection. So they have one of the best defenses in baseball. And then of course the pitching staff, they still have uh, Wainwright coming back. They still have, you know, they still have Yadier Molina coming back. So that is a very good battery mate. Still have Flaherty, still have, uh, I think it's Miles Mikolos or mm-hmm. that's how you pronounce his name, but they still have a lot of guys coming back. So the Cardinals really are, are a team that I don't know what they're going to be doing too much this offseason. I wonder if they're going to be looking for a shortstop or if they're just kind of going to be standing for, you know, maybe they might trade some guys to, you know, build out their prospect, you know, their, their, their minor leagues. I don't really know what they're what I they're looking for this offseason. Yeah, maybe a bit of starting pitcher depth, uh, maybe a frontline kind of guy. Yeah. But, but overall, yeah, I mean, that makes yeah. a lot of sense to me. Yeah, so they're number 10, the way they finished last year. I know they had a they had a, a crazy wild card game. It really felt like the eight innings of that ball game were so dead even with both teams. Both teams were dominant at the pitching side. So uh, it just came down to a Chris Taylor uh, clutch two-run homer in the ninth that won it. So, um, Cardinals for me are number 10. I just think that they're still a very complete team, aren't really losing anybody in free agency. So that's my six through 10. Who do you got, Alex, for, for rounding out your top 10? Yeah, so my sixth team is the Padres. We okay. also had in a very similar spot. Um, like we said, addition off the injury list for Mike Clevenger. Melvin, a great coach, not losing a lot of big pieces in free agency. Their whole rotation is kind of guys who have a couple more years of you know control, not just this last season, so... Um, I think they make a lot of sense to be really good again. I think they sort out some of their in, uh, some of their issues, and they're going to be back on track next year, at least to be a playoff trajectory. Uh, my my seventh overall team is the Blue Jays, so we both kind of agree on them. Travis, they were definitely an underrated team this last season. Their run differential was fifth best in the MLB, only worse than Dodgers, Giants, Rays, and Astros. Who that was kind of like the big four last year in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had a better run differential than the White Sox, than the Braves, and the Brewers, than the Red Sox, and the Yankees, and the Cardinals, than the Padres, than all these other teams that were like very scary teams. Mm-hmm. Blue Jays actually had a better run differential, and just the way the games uh, twisted and turned, they ended up barely missing out in the playoffs. A bit of bad luck for them for sure in that regard. So. Obviously, like you said, Semyon and Ray could be on the move, but I think they can replace those. They, they can fill the holes uh, yeah. pretty easily. And as they stand with that talent, I think they have to be on my top 10. So they're my seventh team. Eighth team, I have the Yankees. So I just think that, you know, with the nature of the Yankees, they're going to be adding superstar talent. But, you know, just based on who they have now, I think there's just too many impact players to not be on this list, even though they lost that wild card game. I think if they won that wild card game, they could have gone on a crazy yeah. kind of tear. So easily, it, easily. It, it just oh, their season came down to one game and they lost. But they're my eighth team. My ninth team, my Travis, is the Cardinals. Um, a lot of their kind of, I guess, a lot of what they have going for them in a good way is some of their youth guys. They'll be sticking on for probably quite a while. 
I think an Arenado extension, we all know, is coming. He's going to probably be with the team for a while. Um, Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader, great left and center field duo. Defensively, also Carlson and right. The outfield is probably going to be here to stay for a little bit here, right? Definitely. Um, and then, of course, guys like Edmund and Goldschmidt. The, the team is kind of, they know what they are. They, yeah. all ha- they all have, like, their own spots. Very few issues to deal with. Probably add some pitching. Look at shortstop, maybe. I know they have Sosa, but I'm not sure what their long-term plan is at shortstop. They'll figure it out. I feel pretty good about that. So they're my ninth team. My 10th team, I was debating on it. And I ended up going with the Phillies. Okay. So it's definitely an interesting pick. I think that one issue for them in the second half last year, uh, Hoskins injured, out for season at one point. And then also Eflin, out for season at one point. So you lost two uh, kind of impactful pieces. uh, And they were just, boom, injured, out for season. That really, I think, caused them to kind of spiral out a bit more. Um, they have some very clear things they have to address. Bullpen, center field, shortstop. I think that they know what they have to address. But just based on their pitching, I think Nola balances back next season. I think the year he had, the ERA, was not good. But a lot of the advanced stats show that he was actually doing well. I think Wheeler is legit. He was a workhorse. Um, the his, his his numbers were great, and his innings pitched were leading baseball pretty much the whole season. Yeah. He was just like the train. And then you get you get Eflin back. Um, I think they also have just, you know, I think I think they have, they have a lot of good things kind of going for them. Of course, we all know Dombrowski as the GM is going to make a big move if needed. Um, but as they stand, they squeaked in as my 10th team. So, Travis, a couple omissions. We both didn't have the Giants, right? Didn't have the Giants, and you didn't have the Braves. I did not have the Braves. I want to talk about that because that was yeah. a big... Wow, yeah. So, yeah, Charles, just based on who I think the Braves are, um, in terms of run differential, last season they were seventh in baseball. Mm-hmm. So, in reality, you think, okay, they probably should be in your team. But I think right now, Freeman is not on their team. Mm-hmm. Rosario, their MVP, not on their team. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're getting Acuna back. But mm-hmm. That's a huge deal. And Pache. And I, I guess, I, I think Pache yeah. was... Uh, was he injured or I, 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 he was he was in the minors and then like they brought him up for the bit for the for the playoff team and then he got hurt I believe in the CS or something like that um and so he was out for the yeah yeah they they they, they moved him off, off the team but um Pache still has a lot to prove he's not really been like an MLB you know by no means any sort of all star but he he could, he could get there of course but um Rosario Peterson free agents Freeman free agent Soler I think that might. I think he has another year on his deal or something like that. I think one of the guys was able to have like another year, so it wasn't like I think it's Solaire. Yeah. But the Duval yeah. you're losing, Duval was a great defender, Gold Glove nominee. Also, did he win the Gold Glove? He did, yeah. yeah. So a Gold Glove yeah. winner. Plus, I think he led the NL in RBIs. Like yeah. he, like he yeah. had a sneaky, really good year. They're he, losing him, so they're he, losing. Angels, s- Angels missed out on someone like that. So yeah, yeah we went we went <laughs> for Dexter Fowler, but it's it's okay, Charles. Um, I think there's too many guys the Braves are losing. And this is besides the fact that they they were only an 88 win team last year. So if you if if based on who they don't have on their team right now, if they're down to like an 84 win team next year, then that's not top 10 in my mind. So I don't have in my top 10 right now. Um, I'm just trying to look at this through the lens of regular season because playoffs it's about who's hot mm-hmm. and yep. winning a series is all about you know Rosario becoming Barry Bonds for a week. But that's not how baseball power rankings work in my mind. It's mm-hmm. all about you know who's built to last. Um, the Braves for me were not, they were just, were not a, they're not, they weren't a super team. They got hot at the right time. And so I'm looking at them as the team that kind of won a really weak division last year. Yeah. And now they have like four guys who are free agents. 
that were all impactful in the postseason, whereas the Phillies are not losing that many guys. Yeah. The only, only thing, I mean, the only counter argument I could possibly even say is, you know, having the Padres who were under 500. I, I know we know the roster is super good and yeah. they just underperformed. And the and you could say that the Braves underperformed too, but they also lost a couple people and they still managed with 88 wins. Um, I think for me, Alex, the big thing is the rotation and the bullpen is all coming back and they are all studs. I, I, I really like the rotation. I think, honestly, the rotation goes up there with the Brewers rotation. Um, I really like them. I think the offense was still having Swanson, which, I mean, Swanson's not really a great player, but he did, of course, have a good power surge last year. Albies had a good power surge last year. And then, of course, Riley um, really, not not going to say overhyped, but was his, his name has been out there for a lot of different um, big awards. So Riley, of course, having a big year. And then, of course, having Acuna back, um, I think the core for the Braves is still, in my opinion, still going to be top notch. So that, oh. I, that, that's my only reasoning for you know the Braves. I, I do think that having them number one or two on a lot of people's rankings was a very so, bad had, way to. Some play. of them had it at one, and it just made it, no stupid. sense at yeah. all. Yeah, you're just basically saying they won the championship. So yeah, it's yeah. like we all know we watched like trust. <laughs> don't worry, but yeah, um, my counterpoint about they, the pitching, they, they had three weeks of excellent baseball. Of that, course, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. So about those pitching, like obviously pitching is one of their strengths. Um, they have uh, established rotation pieces and, and bullpen pieces. But um, comparing them to someone like the Brewers, I think that the Brewers, every step of the way, have better pitching. I think your first guy, I think Burns is better than Morton. Yeah, I think course. second guy, I think Woodruff is better than Freed. Third guy, I think Peralta is better than Anderson. You know, um, I think no. that's just the way I see the stats. And then also for the bullpen, I think Hayter is better than Smith. I think that... Uh, Matzik is probably. I think Matzik is probably worse than than Williams. So I I, I can kind of go down the list and kind of say there are other pitching teams who I for sure like more. Um, Their their pitching is obviously a strength. I just think that depending on depending on how Soroka kind of comes back, if he does not, um, if he does not, you know, come back and return to his like 2019 form, I think that the Braves. um, I think 88 was kind of a a correct number. Mm -hmm. I think that losing Acuna was obviously made their numbers dip a bit, but they were like a 500 team with him for the first part of the year. No, and he exactly. was playing like an MVP. Exactly. Then they yeah. go and get those trade deadline pieces that we keep talking about, the Rosarios, the Duvals, the Solaires. Those guys all probably ended up producing in that second half more than Acuna would have. They all combined to produce more. So, And, and those are the things that it's funny. You're not, you're, not, you're, not, you're not getting that kind of stuff in the second half next year. I can almost promise no, you. No, 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 exactly. And that's something that I'll definitely agree with you. Um, and, and it's funny that you bring those guys in, and you really can't measure that they're going to have a successful second half, but they do. They kind of prove everybody wrong, and they just go on a tear. And, yeah, but the, the, the big thing I just see is the pitching staff and the bullpen is all staying put. And, you know, you, you made a good point. In my opinion, I think Woodruff and uh, Burns are, are A players. They're A-graded a A-plus players. Peralta could be A-minus, B-plus player, B-plus at worst. I think, of course, when you look at the uh, Braves' four starters, Soroka, Freed, Ian Anderson. I know Soroka hasn't pitched in a while, so we still don't really know what we're going to get out of him, but yeah. also Morton. I think we're looking at four almost B-plus players. So I, I, that's how I kind of grade the rotations where you have four really above average good pitchers well of course the brewers have just aces on their rotation but yeah um that's kind of how i graded it and of course the bullpen with the way minter and matzik pitched they both were b plus players and then of course will smith 
Um, not, of course, if we saw his numbers in the regular season, I think we'd say Will Smith is an okay player. He gets a lot of ground balls. Hit, balls are hit right to defenders. Um, not a lot of strikeouts, but he did his right. job in the playoffs. So I'm going to give him a credit where yeah. he's also like a B minus B player for their rotation. So I just see them having almost like just a, not not an A rotation pitching staff, but just a B plus very good all around full lengthed um, rotation. So I, I had to put them in the top 10 because of course, you know, I think the World Series Championship means having, you have to be in the top 10, but also with what they're returning. I think if like Morton wasn't coming back, Freeman wasn't coming back. And let's just say, you know, Riley and a bunch of the other guys were not coming back, then it'd be like, okay, this team could literally go from, like, they could be the, the Kansas City Royals where they win in 15 and then in 16, you're not even talked about because it's yeah. just like this team has just been totally taken apart for scraps and trades. But um, and One more thing I'll add on that, Chairs, before we wrap up. Um, the way you're kind of talking about there, like the, the tear apart for scraps or whatever, reminds me of 2019 Nationals. 2019 yeah. Nationals, a great, great postseason run. The Cinderella story the whole way through comparable to the Braves in terms of that narrative that they had going for them. I think the 2022 Braves will be better than the 2020 Nationals. But that can kind of show you how I think so many teams were like, the Nationals will be good in 2020. We saw what they did. But they immediately became a losing team when they lost Rendon. And just some of these guys just didn't have the same um, same kind of crazy career years. Like guys like Kendrick didn't have a career year anymore. Uh, tons of guys like uh, Trey Turner even became better but they still ended up being a worse overall team. Yeah. So yeah. it kind of can show you how the World Series winner can quickly kind of fall off. And it's no one's fault. It's just you have to look at how good were they actually as a team last year. In 2019, the Nationals, the whole year, were not a top five team no. in, the, in, in, no. in those kind of power rankings. Not at all. But they win the World Series, and everyone's like, oh, well, they'll be back next year. They'll be a threat. Like, no, you, no. you, you, got, you got to kind of know. You, you get lucky. You definitely yeah. get lucky. And so that's why I, I think... So I think the the Braves, there was some luck. Obviously, when the season starts next year, they should probably be penciled in for the favorite to win their division. But at the same time, last season, they did not look like a lock for the division until a couple weeks left in the season. Yeah, so yeah. with that in mind, um, a, co- a couple other things go poorly for them next season or if they have a bad offseason. They lose three or four more games. The Mets or Phillies will be right there instead. So exactly. That's exactly. So uh, that's a very good point you bring to I me. Mean, sometimes some people get really just stuck in the oh they won the world series they're right. gonna be back next year and it's kind of like you know and the, with the nationals you better get hot next year yeah, again you, you knew strasburg and rendon were heading into free agency and they didn't bring back rendon who was a huge piece of the championship run so uh yeah it, you look at that and i know it was, i know it was a 60 game season so you can't really cut them down too much because i think in their 60th game in 2019 well they were they were awful so yeah you really can't say oh 2020 was uh, you can't measure that year. But they have been deadly since. Exactly, exactly. So I, I think I could definitely see the Braves being that team where they got their championship and, you know, good for them and the fans will remember it forever. But next season could be a season where they were are, are thinking, huh, okay, we can still win the division, probably maybe not win, you know, the World Series. I mean, I think everyone would say if they play a fully healthy, you know, Dodgers team again, I think we'd all think the Dodgers are going to take it, you know, in, in, instead of the Braves. So, um, yeah, interesting how, just interesting how the kind of thing works out. So Yeah, Travis, We'll probably do this again before the season starts, and our list will probably be com- completely different. I'm hoping to have some angels. The, uh, yeah, well, there the are yeah. there are so many impact players in free agency right now that are going to be getting some big deals, as well as of course trade market stuff we already discussed. Some of these teams will look completely different in a few months, which is very exciting. Um, when spring training rolls around, I'm sure we'll do another power rankings. Definitely, but, definitely. Um, that pretty much wraps up everything for this week, Travis. Um, you know, 
I'm hoping for the free agency news to pick up quickly. I know I'm hearing rumors about some players want to get a deal done before the CBA just because they can not be worried about, okay, what if the, what if the, what if the bargaining agreement, all the, the, the discussions go into spring training almost? Yeah, yeah. All these guys are not going to be able to sign during that time. They're going to be saying, okay, what am I going to sign during spring training? Some guys don't want that. They yeah. want to have that routine. They want to know what team they're going to be on before next spring. So I, I've always thought too, you know, as an organization, I would love to have players sign before, like, you know, two weeks before Christmas because, hey, you start selling jerseys. I remember back oh, when true. back when they got our pools and CJ Wilson 10, 10 years ago, which worst 10 years of my life, uh, uh, you know, our pools jerseys were on stock, you know, like December 15th. And it's like, you know, you, you can just Cha-ching. imagine what yeah. the sales will be for, you know, a yeah. big time player you know, a Seager jersey for the Yankees or, or something like that, or even Correa for one of the other teams, um, or Scherzer as well. You can just see what, you know, an owner or a front office would be. Oh, man, we can make huge sales in, you know, jerseys. You know, sell the jersey for 150 bucks, 175 bucks, and, you know, we're going to get a million people to buy this in the L.A. market. And so, yeah, I, I, love, so I, hope- I, I love having those kind of deals be done by, like, the winter meeting. So Yeah, and, it is, and the fact is that December 1st is a big day for the collective bargaining agreement, so... It's almost like that could have come a little bit earlier for some of these guys. Essentially, exactly. essentially what we want, Travis, is we want uh, Santa Claus, Artie Moreno, to give <laughs> Travis a Correa jersey for Christmas. But we'll I, see. I would love that. We'll see yeah. if that happens or not. But or you know what? I'll say even too, just good starting pitching. So yeah, we'll, we'll take that for sure. But yeah, essentially, Travis, uh, I'll hopefully some big news comes out before that December first deadline, so we can have plenty to talk about next week. Um, but as yeah, as well as awards next week too. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, this whole week is going to be the announcement of Cy Young Award winners, Manager of the Year winners, and, of course, MVP is a big deal. Rookie of the Year, all that good stuff will be, will be coming at you guys next week with that info. Also, after that, after the whole announcement, Travis, we will know how much money we made on our bets, so we can cover that as well. A little but, bit of pride be, will, be, will be set over the next episode, yeah. Yeah, so next week we have tons of more coming at you guys. But for this week, that wraps it up. If you made it this far, thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Presented by... Tool Tools Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>